Into the Weird Halloween Special 2021, a return to Vampire Tales. Welcome to Into the Weird, a podcast celebrating the madness and magnificence of the mighty Marvel Bronze Age. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host, Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? Hey, Billy. No, I feel good because this is our third Halloween show. So three years running, we've been doing a special Halloween edition of Into the Weird. And because of that, you know, I'm all excited because horror is our life's blood, right? The blood is the mm, life blood? and horror. Is, <laughs> we're going to be talking about lots of blood today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. But we're back on our Morbius kick. You know, as we've done twice before, mm. Morbius has shown up on our Halloween discussions because he's my favorite Marvel horror character. And mm-hmm. um, I think he's one of your favorites, too. He's become one of your favorites. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, I'm actually still a little sad that we have not yet gotten to the... Uh, Adventures his, into uh, Fear? Run. Yeah, Adventures into Fear, the crazy eyeball creatures and stuff. So we got to get on that. Yeah, we're kind of timing that for, you know, around the release of the movie. <laughs> so we might mm-hmm. get some extra, <laughs> you know, free publicity or people interested in Morbius might, might see us on Twitter when we post those episodes. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're very business-minded these days right with our patreon Mm -hmm. and everything it's terrible it's terrible we love blood and we love money (laughs) no i'm kidding you know it's just a way it's an incentive for us to to keep meeting deadlines and to deliver better stuff and i think that's been working so far Mm -hmm. right mr b we've been on a run of recordings lately we've been better yes that's awesome and i love uh I love it when we uh, deliver on what we uh, want to do. So that's that's great. That's yeah. a good, we we we've been doing it. We've been doing it doing a solid for all the listeners out there. Yeah, we're, we've been keeping our promises. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So in the past, we weren't very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're definitely way better than we were a couple years ago. That's right. That's right. So um, today, specifically, listeners, we're going to be discussing Vampire Tales number seven. From October 1974, it was on sale 
on August the 6th, 1974, however. And uh, mm-hmm. we skipped over Vampire Tales number six, right? Billy, why is that? Because uh, there's no Morbius. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, there is Lilith, daughter of Dracula, who's amazing. Who's awesome. But yeah, we'll have to do a topic-specific episode with just focusing on her, since she's one of our favorite, you know, mm-hmm. female vampire characters. So, because we're doing the Morbius thing every Halloween, we decided to leapfrog over six. Because last time we did five, Morbius and Amanda Saint, his paramour, they're still looking for her father, battling, you know, the demon cult, uh, you know, that they want to handle in these vampire tale comics, uh, the cabal called Demon Fire. You know, so um, this is still the continuing storyline. They're still hunting for Amanda's father. So... Uh, not too difficult mm-hmm. to remember what happened last time, right? Uh, believe mm-hmm. they, they took out some of Demon Fire's uh, flunkies and some of their heavy hitters. It seems that there are different, you know, sects of the Demon Fire cult spread out across the mm-hmm. country. You know, oh, so yeah. last time <clears throat> around, you know, they were at a lighthouse. <laughs> this time around, they're in a <laughs> uh, rundown old western town, straight out of a spaghetti western. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so it's it's great and I love these uh, you know settings that they keep throwing Morbius in I mean a vampire who can handle the sun you know but still seeing a vampire in a western setting <laughs> in the middle of a desert that, that looks mm-hmm. strange uh, but some pretty great issues here and we've got great art fantastic writing we're going to get into the rest of the stories in the Vampire Tales magazine issue as well because it's a black and white magazine. It has four, sometimes five tales with a text piece, just like the other mm-hmm. Marvel Monster magazines of the time. Yeah. And Vampire Tales was one of their better sellers. Conan, I think, probably was number one. But, uh, yeah, it was Vampire Tales was up there, too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it sold in excess of 150,000 copies regularly. And uh, that's not as great as some of mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, four-color comics. But it's still pretty good for a black and white publication. And remember, they had a market that they could uh, dip into that the comic books didn't have. They probably got more adult readers, you know, to buy Mm -hmm. the horror mags. Yeah. Because of the covers, you know, the lurid nature of some of the images and also just the plain horror. The covers were more like creepy or eerie or Vampirella covers than a normal Marvel comic. And that's also why they didn't, they deigned not to put the Marvel logo um, you know, on the cover as brightly and as, you know, noticeably as they did on the normal comics on the stands, you know, so mm-hmm. that it, the Marvel logo won't make the buyers think, oh, but this is Marvel really hardcore, <laughs> like the Skywall <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. But it worked. Yeah, they, had, they um, yeah. had a lot of sales on Vampire Tales. All right. Mm-hmm. So, Billy, let's get into this. I'm going to be doing the synopsis for the first story. There are four stories in here. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, the last time around, uh, Morbius and Amanda were in Malevolence, Maine. And, um, you know, that mm-hmm. story was entitled Blood Tide because it was set along the coast near a lighthouse. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. the, the first story in this Vampire Tales issue 7, it's got an interesting title as well. And this is all because of Don McGregor. I mean, he's doing the writing mm-hmm. and uh, he came up with some interesting titles. Not your usual kind of... Uh, uh, naming a story tropes that he dealt with, right, Billy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, specifically, mm-hmm. the the first story here is called 
Uh, let's see here. Where is Gallows Bend and what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> That's a heck of a name. <laughs> wow. Yeah, very long title, mm -hmm. but very interesting. And, uh, oh, I forgot to mention the cover artist is Jose Antonio Domingo. Yeah, he did a couple of uh, mm -hmm. horror covers oh. there in the 70s. Yeah. He's pretty good. What do you think of him, Billy? Yeah, J J A D. It would be the signature. And, of course, you know, pre-internet days, you're like, who the heck is that? But, yeah, that was his name, Jose Antonio Domingo. And, yeah, I like it. Cool cover, man. It's pretty pretty creepy. I mean, I do like, um, obviously, you know, we all have our favorites. And some of these ones, you know, had uh, like Boris Vallejo and people like that that were like, you know, the top of the line guys. But this is still pretty darn good, too. I like it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Marvel guy, the Marvel horror covers didn't always get the the high-end artists like the creepy you know the warren magazines got for creepy eerie and vampirella but mm -hmm. they did get you know guys who were famous in their own right you know maybe not you know uh, having another korean illustration like boris vallejo and uh, frank frazetta had but they got these uh, normally spanish guys or argentinian guys or um you know the filipino guys to do the covers and mm -hmm. they were amazing. It was just fantastic. Oh, yeah. So this cover, though, sports um, the typical uh, Vampire Tales logo with Morbius reading the Marvel Monster Mag <laughs> in the corner box there, <laughs> which I loved. And then it's got this hunchbacked figure in the center holding this beautiful red-headed girl in this uh, slip, uh, dressed in the slip and then you've got this uh, vampire like looking zombie skeleton I don't know I mean it's supposed to be a vampire because after all this is vampire tales but this vampire is completely emaciated right mm -hmm. standing off to the left and then you've got the skeleton crouching at the bottom yeah and we don't know what sinister designs this hunchback has on this lady but the contrast is so sharp you know the beauty of this this alluring uh, girl and then this horrid ugliness of this grotesque monster you know, seizing a hold of her, right, Billy? It's it's a striking image. And the colors yeah, yeah, are... Yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah. creepy. There's... Hmm. Mm hmm Yeah. The colors are I very... I like the colors, yeah, too, yeah. Brown, earthy, kind of mm -hmm. muted blacks and, and browns there. It's it's very sinister looking. Looks like they're underneath some kind of a underground city, you know, a la H.P. Lovecraft or something, but it could also just be there in a graveyard or in this um you know yeah well that's a city the structures behind them clearly show buildings uh it could mm -hmm. even be an ancient hyboria who knows <laughs> you know <laughs> um, but a very very striking cover so all of their covers were like that though i advise you to check them out in fact i might put some on the website billy on sinkintotheweird.com oh, cool. i'm gonna put our favorite vampire tales covers yeah they always had a good copy on them as well you know like Vampire Tales, the big logo, was always at the top. But then even above that, it says Nightmare Legends of Living Dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. They had great ways to sort of draw, you know, uh, the kids and the buyers and the adults who were interested in these things in. You know, with mm -hmm. the cover copy, with the images, and just with, with the logo of Vampire Tales as well. And the lettering, on, mm. like you said, uh, on the title is one of the more you know, uh, noticeable and salient kind of uh, logos, right? Vampire Tales written mm -hmm. in this this uh, crumbling script. But it's definitely red against a white background, you know, so it's got the blood feeling to it and the pale white skin of a girl, you know, that that, that calls to mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I should say those, that, that emaciated skeleton, 
mm-hmm. there's actually two of them off to the left, tied to what looks to be a stake, right? Believe yeah. so. That's probably not the vampire skeleton, but the hunchback mm-hmm. is definitely a vampire because he's got fangs. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, he definitely does. Yeah. Very interesting. Of course, they advertised Morbius. He was the star of Vampire Tales, although he did not appear in the previous issue. And then mm-hmm. Morbius, the living vampire, slays <laughs> again. <laughs> we know he's always got that <laughs> penchant for snacking on hot girls because he just can't help himself. This time around, it kind mm-hmm. of happens, but not you know completely. Um, and then mm-hmm. they also say, bonus, Hospital of the Undead. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Fearsome photo feature mm. on Christopher Lee's last Dracula film. Okay, that's also an extra, mm. which is a text piece there. So oh, pretty, yeah. pretty great. 75 cents cover price. Mm. Uh, not too bad oh, for gosh. a thick-ass magazine. Wish we could <sighs> have that. <laughs> mm, gosh, yeah, I wish I got a time machine. Ugh. That's right, same here. And before I get into synopsis, you know, the first page is of obviously the table of contents. I always loved reading. Um, well, since I, I'm only a recent convert to Vampire Tales, I, I could never find the magazines as a kid, right, Billy? But uh, I read them about 10 to 15 years ago when mm-hmm. I first started to put out the little trade paperbacks that you and I own. And um, I love reading mm-hmm. the table of con- contents. You know, you've got, uh, number one, where is Gallows Bend? Trapped in an ancient ghost town, Morbius the Living Vampire and Amanda Saint face the deadly wrath of Demon Fire, the satanic cult whose very name means death. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got vampire males, fang mail, not fan mail. Fang mail from our demonic fangs and the secret readers poll revealed. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> Sip the sweet poison. That's story number two. And then mm-hmm. Devil's Den. Um, and the mighty Marvel movie Maven reveals all. <laughs> I love that. That's mm-hmm. uh, actually about Christopher Lee's last Hammer Dracula film, The Satanic Rites of Dracula, which is one of my favorites, but not one of the critically acclaimed uh, Dracula films he did. But for some reason, it's a sentimental favorite of mine. How do you feel about that movie, Billy? Uh, maybe we shouldn't talk about okay, that. Okay, <laughs> okay. We, we don't want to get off on the wrong foot here. <laughs> keep it keep it oh, happy. And, I, and then, oh, I will say to uh, uh, friends of ours, you know, over at the uh, Fire and Water Network, uh, Chris and Cindy Franklin, who are their House of Frankenstein. I just listened to their latest episode, and it was... Uh, Dracula AD 1972 they did uh, on that one. Oh, I love that. I've got a, a little bit of a shout out to one of the characters from that film later on. And Carolyn mm-hmm. Monroe's in that, you know. Oh um, my gosh. Stephanie Beecham. Peter oh, Cushing yoy. with Christopher Ooh. Lee, but in a modern setting. That is insane. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Again, strangely enough, not one of the critically acclaimed movies as far as Hammer critics go, you know, which which I, I find weird because that movie is amazing. It's it's not true to form for Hammer, but they, they took a risk putting not making it a period piece. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, it worked for me, really worked, you know, gave. And I think it also um, uh, was pleasing to Christopher Lee and, and Peter Cushing, too, because they got to do something different, you know, stretch their legs a bit in a different kind of setting <laughs> scenario you know so yeah I, they like you said they they at least had the balls to take a chance i'll give them that you know what i mean even if things didn't work out the best at least they tried definitely definitely and then billy we've got an interesting tale here the third tale in this issue bats and um, mm-hmm. this one's interesting because it has no text uh, other than you know the 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 script you see on you know newspapers books manuals scientific 
uh, treatises in this book, but it's basically got no text, right? Um, yeah. It's a silent issue, a la G.I. Joe or, you know, Lone Wolf and Cubs battle sequences, <laughs> something like, well, th that's far into the future, of course. This is done way before that. But oh, I yes. love it because the art is by Paul Gulacy, whom we've discussed at length recently on our patron episodes of yeah. uh, featuring Shang-Chi, the Dragons Shang and Jive. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he does it brilliantly, I think. He tells the story oh, well yeah. just through the art. And then we've got mm -hmm. the story that you're going to be tackling, uh, Billy, which is Agents of the Night Road. And that's about the highwaymen came riding, riding, riding into the deadly jaws of hell itself. So um, that's going to be fun. But we'll start off with where is Gallows Bend and what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic title there. And of course, this mm -hmm. is by Don McGregor and one of our favorite horror artists of all time, Tom the Man Sutton. Mm, awesome. He Billy, is the man. Billy, I know you love him. You love him probably mm -hmm. more than even Mike Plug. Um, on par with probably even more than Bernie Wrightson. Am I wrong in saying that? Uh, I kind of have, you know, those guys all like together in a group mm. for me. You know, okay. when I think about horror artists, definitely Tom Sutton, Bernie Wrightson, they're, they're right up there with each other. You right. know, I just, I can't, I wouldn't say I love one more than the other. I think they're right up there. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's difficult to pick. I could definitely pick Bernie as my favorite and Richard Corbin as my second place. But Mike Plug and Tom Sutton, I can't pick between those two. You know, they're so good and they're so evenly matched for me when it comes to drawing this grotesque, formless kind of horror. Um, yeah, but we'll talk more about them later because uh, we've got a, a sec segment coming up where you and I are doing uh, lists again, right, Billy? So mm -hmm. I've got some Tom Sutton in there. We'll talk about that too. So mm -hmm. the synopsis for... The first story in Vampire Tales number 7 is as follows. Morbius and Amanda Saint awaken in the abandoned town of Gallows Bend, Nevada, disoriented and mystified as to how they got there. They theorize that it was the sinister cult demon fire that must somehow have kidnapped them and deposited them there for a reason. As the story progresses and Morbius and Amanda explore the town, we are introduced to a sinister cabal consisting of demon fire acolytes who have gone rogue. They wish to torture and interrogate Morbius and Amanda to discover exactly how they were able to destroy two of the cult's sects. One of the acolytes faces off against Morbius in a quick draw encounter. The only problem? Morbius ain't packing. Blasted off his feet, the living vampire nevertheless gets the better of his opponent. But this leaves him open to an assault from Blood Fire, another acolyte. Meanwhile, one Howie Rivers, the owner of an amusement park, is in a meeting with a kingpin called Kazarian, who seeks to buy up Howie's property. Howie refuses and things get violent when Kazarian's henchman Danny Boy gets involved. How he escapes and Kazarian vows revenge. Then we cut back to the town and Morbius, who frees himself from Bloodfire with the help of an old codger who unloads some buckshot into <laughs> Bloodfire's face. Injured and starved for blood, Morbius feels the blood hunger upon him, but Amanda relieves this by offering Morbi her jugular vein. 
Now it's round two as Morbius takes on Bloodfire once more. Amanda is distraught when she happens upon her father's corpse dangling from the gallows. She saves Morbius from Bloodfire, but at the cost of severe injury. The story ends with the living vampire carrying a broken and grief-wracked Amanda into the dawn. Alright, Billy, so that's the synopsis for what happened there. They're in the town of Gallows Bend, mysteriously deposited there. We don't know how they got there because this has nothing to do with how the, the story um, ended when they were in Malevolence, Maine in issue 5. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first off, what do you think of, about the story as a whole and you know how the plot unfolds involving the cult demon fire? Um, I like it quite a bit. There are you know, a couple of little inconsistencies. You know, Like you said, we kind of start the uh, story out already with them lying on the ground in this uh, old west town here. I think it's supposed to be somewhere you know, on the outskirts of Las Vegas. And you know, they don't really get into detail of how they got there. You know, they surmise, well, it had to be this or that. But they don't really get into like how they got there. And obviously, we didn't get to see that either. So that was kind of weird. I thought, okay. And then... Uh, you know, some of the things are just tiny little you know, plot hole here or there, but I overall I like it quite a bit. I love the setting. You know, that's really cool. And then the very last image, which we'll get to that in this comic book, that's always like I don't know for some reason it's like stuck in my head. I don't know if I saw it when I was younger and I was like, this is creeping me out or what, but I love it. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. I know exactly what mm-hmm. you mean. I'm the same. But that <laughs> image is just incredible. I also like the image. Uh, one that stuck in my head for for the last ten years, at least since I first read this, was uh, the image of uh, in the beginning of chapter two, because there's two chapters in this, Death mm-hmm. Flame, and that's a single page spread where Morbius is fighting this uh, blood f- blood fire, you know, mm. acolyte. It's just an incredible page there. This uh, blood fire is this flaming skeleton on a skeletal horse on a skeletal steed. And he's got this uh, barbed wire lasso that he yeah. uses to great effect. I mean, he seen. I mean, we know barbed wire is not very, you know, uh, uh, it's not very malleable, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. not not compared to a lasso. So this guy seems to be able to lasso things, <laughs> you know, very accurately with this barbed wire, which you know doesn't make much sense, right, Billy? But hell, there's magic involved, so. What are who yeah, are we to talk about sense? Yeah, supernatural. Yeah, it's supernatural. So you you can get away with just about anything. Science and supernatural, you can get away with anything. Or comic book science, I should say. But yeah, I love the you know uh, villains that Morbius has to go up against in this one. I really like it a lot because you know sometimes he's just throwing around like you know drunk New Englanders or something. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> well, now he's going up against you know these supernatural beings that he really can't do that to. You know, it's kind of more even. So I do like that. That's probably, you know, one of my favorite things about this one. Yeah, it seems to be that some of, you know, the cult's uh, members have these extreme sorceress abilities. And then some don't. Some just focus mm-hmm. on hand-to-hand or or just normal weapons like um, pistols and guns. And, and so we've got two of them in here. Morbius goes up against Reaper. Reaper is the mm-hmm. cowboy-esque figure who's got who's sporting these these six guns and then we, he goes up against Bloodfire who's the uh, more supernatural of the two but we get a hint of some others as well i mean Kazarian the the kingpin gangster type he's associated with Bloodfire as we'll soon discover with with mm-hmm. blood, with with Demonfire the cult 
and then we've also got this uh, uh, who is it like uh, Undertaker type of guy um, yeah Phineas right he shows up he's part of the mm-hmm. cabal and the reason why they magically it must have been magically um, with a spell captured Morbius and Amanda and deposited in them in this town is because they want to find out exactly how they were able to destroy the other sects before they kill them so that's that's that explains why they didn't just outright kill them once the spell took a hold yeah. and deposited them unconscious in the street of Gallows Bend, mm-hmm. right, Billy? But but mm-hmm. Amanda's still looking for her father, and this time around the quest is completed because she does find her father, as I hinted in the synopsis. But it's not a happy reunion because mm. the, these rogue acolytes were the ones who actually had him. They didn't really kidnap him. He was sort of a part of the cult. But I think because he was associated with Amanda and Morbius, I mean, there's a scene where Amanda sees his ghost, right, Billy? And mm-hmm. that prob- that told me that he already died. That's the moment when he died. And he sort of tried to reconcile with her. But it was too late because, you know, that's when Morbius was suffering. And Amanda, you know, she has feelings for Morbius. <laughs> Even though right. he's yeah. this monstrous, pug-nosed looking vampiric freak, <laughs> <laughs> a misfit of mm-hmm. science. <laughs> if ever there yeah. was one but uh, she mm. loves morbius and i think morbius has strong feelings towards her too now Billy, i know there's a scene here you'll love in the beginning when they wake up in this town at the start of the story amanda goes nuts she goes hysterical what does morbius do <laughs> man he's so unfeeling oh. yeah he pulls the old you know 1930s and 40s maneuver of slapping her because she's you know getting a little out of control and getting too crazy it's like um Jeepers. dude yeah, calm down. Now, and what does she? She actually says like, "What does she say? Thanks, but I didn't need that, and that was overly dramatic of you." <laughs> but yeah. she did say thanks for getting slapped. It's like what? You know, she. It's kind of a dig at him too because before he called her over dramatic, he says you over dramatize yeah. our plight. You have a tendency <laughs> to do that, Amanda, and now she's throwing that back <laughs> in his face. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I love McGregor's writing here, Billy. I mean, just the uh, for, okay. First off, we should mention that the narration captions are done in the first person, but there are more than one character who engage in first person narration in this tale. First is Morbius, then it's Amanda, and then later on, mm-hmm. it will be one of the members of Bloodfire, and it will mm-hmm. even be Howie Rivers, right? He will also be thinking uh, along those lines and, and narrating the story through his thoughts. So. Uh, it starts off with with McGregor writing in Morbius's thoughts as they regain consciousness, mm-hmm. and there's this great uh, this great shot on the opening splash where you see Morbius and Amanda through the the noose hanging from the gallows, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I really look at uh, Amanda, she looks okay, but Morbius looks a little odd to me. I don't know if it's his face or what it is, but. He looks a little bit odd. He looks like just somebody like laid an action figure on the ground and took a picture of it. But everything else looks incredible. Yeah, you're right. Morbius looks a little bit stiff, you know, almost like Rigor yeah, Mortis has taken a hold of him, which it should have by now. <laughs> but yeah, he looks a little bit stiff. Later on, though, um, you know, he I think Sutton gets the hang of drawing him again, especially his face. Yeah. I oh, love yeah. the way he draws Morbius's face. That's now mm-hmm. a real horror vampire's face, Billy. This is no... Edward from Twilight. <laughs> I think his name's <laughs> oh, Edward. I, I hate those movies. But anyway, uh, uh, this is really the way uh, vampires should look. And then, Billy, right after that page where he slaps her, where Morbius slaps Amanda, even on that same page, mm-hmm. look at that last panel on that slap page. 
Oh, wow, mm. she's beautiful. The way Sutton draws oh, her. Yeah. And then the first panel on the next page, when she climbs up the scaffold, holy mm-hmm. moly, she's, he, he draws Ooh. her stunningly, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, she's super sexy there. And then there's something we never got to see, right? While they're on the gallows, standing in the burning sun, looking around, wondering why they were deposited here by demon fire. Um, there's the shadow. Ching, click, 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 sneak, click, snark, click, chick. <laughs> this little, um, <laughs> what would you call it? Like a, a more complicated Freddy Krueger-esque blade glove <laughs> in the shadows, eh. which is never employed. Edward. I was sad Edward. about that. Edward Scissorhands is in this uh, oh, issue here. That is a better analogy. This is more Edward Scissorhands mm-hmm. than Freddy Krueger, yeah. And then we see they, they spot the, the Rivers Dry Saloon, and they head towards that, and they see, you know, this dusty old saloon inside, and that's where they're going to establish their base. And that's also where we first see this old fella with this double-barreled <laughs> buckshot in laden uh, shotgun who's going to help mm-hmm. them out but first he wanted to blast them away until he heard their conversation where they discussed yeah you know the demon fire cult because demon fire has taken over this town yeah well um, yeah, yeah. The, and and one guy specifically so you know if you thought that a certain villain made his uh, first appearance in x factor and was a big x-men uh, <laughs> villain you were wrong it was here that's right, and Billy is referring to Apocalypse. <laughs> now, this might not be the Apocalypse and Saba Nur of the X-Men universe, but this is definitely the first appearance of a villain called Apocalypse because one of the cabal, right, Billy, is named Apocalypse. He seems to be the planner of the bunch, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so we've got Reaper, we've got uh, the Coroner, and then we've got Apocalypse, and then later, of course, we would also find out that uh, Bloodfire is one of their numbers. So we've got technically the yeah. four horsemen of the apocalypse mm-hmm. here, kind of, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say, Billy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they all look like the one, they all look almost like supernatural or decrepit or almost like zombie-like, and some of them look oh, yeah. even creepier than others. I, you mean that coroner? Man, he looks creepy, dude. And even, yeah. I oh, mean, obviously God. apocalypse looks... He looks like the he's got an alien type face with these fanged teeth or mm-hmm. like he's been burnt horribly scarred in in a fire and then he filed his teeth to these sharp points. Like yeah, they're Lovecraftian. Oh yeah, beasts. that's a, yeah. That, he does look very Lovecraftian. Crazy. Definitely. Yeah. And then we've got um obviously this reaper guy who's the 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 quick draw specialist. He's um mm-hmm. nothing overtly supernatural about him, but he definitely does not look you know, like your normal, you know, outlaw. He looks as if his eyes have been rimmed with blood dripping down from his eyes. It might just be shadows the way Sutton draws it, but there's definitely something supernatural about him. Yeah, well, look at that first page there, 193, where it shows the four of them, right? Yeah. Uh, On the very bottom right panel, he's standing there with the moon behind him, and he does look like kind of zombie-like. And then look at his feet. They don't look like they're touching the ground. Yeah, it almost looks like he's floating out to meet Morbius in this, this mm-hmm. two-gun battle. And Morbius doesn't have any guns. So I don't know. This is definitely not a fair fight. you know. But you're right. There's something supernatural about this dude. Although Morbius takes mm-hmm. him out da- pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, he does. I mean, I think you can attribute this to Morbius' supernatural reflexes, which is one of his powers. Uh, he gets shot in the shoulder, 
But this guy discharged at least, he used two six guns and he discharged, what, three shots at Morbius. Only one of them managed to, to clip him. And then he gets up so fast before this guy could, uh, you know, uh, you know, confirm the kill. Morbius mm-hmm. leaps up and just, you know, plants his face, his feet in his face. <laughs> you know, just yeah. Ju- it's almost he as if he's, a- yeah, his glider wings helped him there. I don't know. He should have became a pro wrestler. Like that's a flying <laughs> drop kick right there, man. <laughs> You're right, but it's almost a horizontal flying drop kick. You know, rather than mm-hmm. a vertical one. This is crazy and that guy's dead look at his oh now we can see some more supernatural uh yeah look at him look at him he's got fangs right the dead cowboy that morbius has just killed now the the funny thing here billy is um uh morbius he definitely he he broke this guy's neck even though there wasn't a sound effect to show that he did because look at that guy he's yeah. lying with his eyes staring open his hand contorted in agony mm-hmm. so yeah morbius's super strength could obviously affect that but then he gets uh what what do you call it noosed <laughs> he gets well yeah he starts to get his thirst like i think he's gonna bite this guy but before he can go over there and you know do that yeah he gets the you know the like the whip the, the barbed lasso, wire or whatever whip. you want to call it around his neck and it looks really super cool yeah yeah it, it gouges his throat and rips into his skin so morbius is in dire straits mm-hmm. here we know that and then yeah. we, we cut to Howie Rivers. Now, this is the only criticism. Well, there are some other criticisms too, but uh, I think the most um, consistent criticism I can give for Vampire Tales is sometimes their you know, panel um, transitions are very abrupt, if you know what I mean, right? But yes. I mean, we're in the midst of the supernatural battle and on the, same, on the very same page, we cut to this completely different setting with characters yes. we've never met and now we've got a howie mm-hmm. rivers narrating his thoughts as a first person narrator here and we've got yeah. this kazarian uh criminal boss with danny boy who looks like a frankenstein monster <laughs> look alike <laughs> he does yeah especially in that second panel yeah it's a very abrupt transition so i don't know that, if that always works for me but they've done it a couple of times before maybe it's mcgregor scripts you know, uh, that's just the way he set it up. And Tom and Sutton just had to follow that. Or what do you think, yeah. Billy? Yeah, I like you said, it'd be nice if, like, you know, most of the page, like three-quarters of the page was, you know, the Morbius fighting here. And then just, you know, transition to one, you know, panel to head into the following page and be like, you know, elsewhere. And, you know, you kind of have a few words or a caption box or whatever. And then, you know, you switch to the next page. And the next page starts you off fresh with, you know, this subplot. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but you know, I'm I I just go with the flow here because it's every page is filled with some scenes of horror that I just want to get mm. to it. It's definitely not taking me out of the story because I'm so invested in this material, right, Billy? But um, it it yeah. does have a bit of a jarring effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's not uh, definitely not detrimental to the enjoyment of this comic. So yeah. basically, then. Uh, how he discovers, you know, Kazarian wants his amusement park. He refuses, so he gets into a fight with Danny Boy. And uh, but he first he tries to manhandle Kazarian himself, and Kazarian <laughs> yeah. does not like to be touched. Now talk about Lovecraft looking. He's also very sinister. I mean, this is all—they're all associated with Demon Fire, the cult. But wow, this guy's drawn like an unctuous, oily type of uh, slug. Or what would you say, but he even got some some Asian Fu Manchu esque uh, vibe to him there with with those yeah. glasses. <laughs> what do you he think? He almost reminds me of like you know, 
like a, a follower of like Dagon, you know, or something like that. Like fish like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really crazy. Like or even like that Doctor Strange story we did where he was up in the New England area, I think it was, and those followers of that Sligeth oh, were all like that's right, that's creepy right. looking. He kind does, of what he reminds me of. He does remind me of that too, yeah. Definitely Lovecraftian. A lot of uh, these mm-hmm. early, I mean, Don McGregor, McGregor, he did write some Lovecraftian uh, characters uh, frequently mm-hmm. into the magazines at least. And uh, I love the way that his exposition works here. Now, it's a lot of exposition, mm. but the, the prose is so beautiful by McGregor. I love it. You know, um, (laughs) you just got to drink it in and enjoy it. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. Okay, first we should mention that Amanda Saint is... They they abruptly cut to Amanda Saint then in the saloon. She's looking through the window and watching as Morbius is dying in the street here, strangling Mm -hmm. to death, essentially. And then uh, the ghost of her father shows up. And that's when they have this bit of a a reunion. Uh, Yeah. But Amanda knows that there's something wrong here. She knows it's not really him. And then we cut to chapter two, Death Flame. And this is the the art that I was discussing earlier. It's just absolutely jaw-droppingly incredible. Mm. Now listen to McGregor's exposition here. Uh, he says, Real- Morbius, this is now Morbius' uh, first-person narration. They murdered reality again. Reality dies easily. It always gives way to insanity. It happens when the first shot, the first moment, at the first shot, the first moment of any kind of violence. And he says it happens because reality is structured and the stimuli of violence or the unknown sets it a kilter until it can comprehend or assimilate what has happened. And then, like an eternal Lazarus, it rises timelessly until the next unexpected element rips its delicate fabric. This time, my reality was torn asunder. So what he's saying there is basically, you know, why we feel horror. Mm-hmm. We, we feel it because our conception of a, a reality, which is structured and ordered, is suddenly tilted on its axis. Yeah. And this happens usually with violence. And if it happens mm-hmm. with extreme violence perpetrated by some horrific entity, so much the worse for it, right, Billy? Then your reality is completely yeah. overturned. And this is what's mm. happening to Morbius now. He cannot believe this <laughs> creature that's attacking him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though he himself, panel? oh, it's beautiful. He himself is a product of on horror. The next page. Yeah, the next page, Billy. Oof, beautiful. Speak on that page. Yeah, the the top panel. It shows this creature, Death Flame, dragging him through the street, and there's like you know dust flying everywhere, and he's like again, he's dragging him through the street with this barbed wire rope around his neck. But then look at that little uh, headshot of Morbius. On that top panel to the far left. Oh my gosh! Oh, it's beautiful. Something. Yeah, and unreal. It's crazy. And look at the the way he drew the old guy's face, who saves Mor- Morbius by blasting Death Flame with this this uh, shotgun. <laughs> he looks that, like he's enjoying it. Whoa! Yeah, he looks like he's enjoying it. But that is a sudden face if I ever saw one. You know that creepy mm. old horror esque. Um, yeah. You know, an old guy with a sinister premonition that you normally see in a Stephen King novel or something. Flam, boom, yeah. he blasts all death, death flame from his horse and then he turns tail and runs for it. Well, that's a great page, Billy, really fantastic mm. page. And Morbius yeah. is bleeding from these gashes in his throat. He needs blood fast. Oh. Yeah, it's not good. So then he goes in to see Amanda and this really, you know, the first time I read this, this really was like, wait, what? But, you know, I'm forgetting that Morbius 
he is a vampire, but he isn't a vampire. He doesn't bite victims and turn them into vampires. It's not he either drains them dry and they just die, or you know he just bites them and sucks a little blood and they can just get over it. So, but the first time I read this, I was like, wait, what? I, I couldn't believe this part. I thought Amanda was dead here. I thought really yeah. she's dead because Morbius has a, a knack for losing control when he's feeding right, Billy, and then he just ends up killing whoever a friend or foe it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and here amanda's offering it to him so that he can heal and satiate satiate his blood hunger and then he does he snacks on her and you know morbius's fangs are more frightening than your average vampire so you see him mm-hmm. graphically thanks to sutton's art plunging them into her neck here it's a great page yeah. too you know with morbius then regretting what he has done and he briefly pulls free but then he he decides to to he, he can't help himself he's going to complete the job but then they mm-hmm. hear the scream outside now that makes me think it's possible that amanda's father could not have been a ghost because but we didn't see him leave her you know what i mean billy we no. didn't see him leave the saloon but it could have been that that he was actually there although i doubt that was the case because then suddenly he's outside hanging from the gallows in the square in the town yeah so I, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what happened there. We're not because there's no scene showing us what occurred between Amanda and her dad. Yeah, yeah, that is weird. But oh my gosh, the panels Oof. on that page where they see him out hanging from the hangman's noose, and then all the panels on the left of the page with the two of them just in shock, Morbius and her face. Like, and again, you and I are reading these from these trades that are, you know, they're not even as big as a regular comic book. They're yeah. only about two. Th- two-thirds the size of a regular comic That's book. That's right. These were in mag- yeah, these were in magazines, and the artwork still even you know shrunk down to fit it in this trade. It still looks just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Exactly, exactly. I mean, look at the way, the detail that Sutton gets here. And um, mm. he's got, you know, I think he also inked this, right, Billy? So oh, yeah, yeah. He, he was known for here. penciling and inking. And when he inked himself, it was just masterful. Look at the way he drew this guy's neck. You know, the noose has clearly snapped this guy's neck. Oh, you see some bones. Gross. Well, they ha- they're not protruding through the skin, but you can definitely see their, their lumps there uh, yeah. poking through the skin. And he sna- his neck's been horrifically broken, and Amanda sees this in graphic detail. And Morbius, oh. the shock, because this is the end of their quest. They, they came yeah. to find Amanda's father... Morbius has been assisting her in that it's it's lasted for for five issues. Well, this is this mm-hmm. would be the sixth, and it yeah. ended in in tragedy and disaster. Mm-hmm. And then while yeah. they're while they're standing there in shock, Death Flame shows up again and he ropes <laughs> yeah. Morbius. Uh, he wrestles him again there with the the barbed wire rope and pulls him off his feet again. And then he strings him up right next to Amanda's dad. Talk about horror. Oh. Through the eyes of Amanda, now her, her dad just died. And now her lover is going to die right next to her, the corpse of her father. <laughs> it's horrible. Mm. Oh, yeah. And then they, this Death Flame dude, he must be like a ninja. It must be his part-time job because... <laughs> How do you not hear this guy coming on a horse, whipping this barbed wire around? <laughs> he just somehow got right behind him and whoosh, right around his neck and pulled him up there. It's like on the, what do they call that? An arm something? I can't remember what they, a yard arm. A yard arm. They, yes, and, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Oh, God. And it's awful. And there's Oof. Amanda's father, like you said, just his neck stretched out and his face looking up towards the sky and his eyeballs like ready to pop out of his skull. Oh, 
Exactly. Gross. Now, this has not just caused Amanda to fall to pieces like she did on the first page of this issue. She is enraged, right? Billy, she leaps mm-hmm. from the scaffold onto the back of <laughs> de- uh, of blood. Death or what's flame. his name? Death flame. But, Death flame. Yeah. but he's a flame like Ghost Rider, except his entire body and the skeletal horse is engulfed in flame. So she burns herself severely. Yeah, but she's yeah. got some balls, man. Yeah. Think about it. That she's tough and i like that you don't usually every time you see a female character in one of these books okay other than tomb of dracula with rachel van helsing but other than that usually it's always just a victim they usually yeah. never they usually never have any kind of agency you know, t- mm. a toughness about them like mm. that they'll you know they'll take uh, matters into their own hands you don't really see that so that's awesome i really like uh you know mcgregor for that give him give him credit for that him and sutton here yeah, I mean, obviously Morbius treated Amanda abysmally in previous issues. He would be abusive. <laughs> yeah. He insults her frequently. But verbally, then, yeah, verbally. He's verbally. just not nice to her. But Amanda does not let that phase her. She's still her own woman. In fact, she's the one leading Morbius by mm-hmm. the, the, the leash here to, to mm-hmm. get him to do her bidding to find her father. She's She's got a way of yeah. getting... You know, of manipulating him. Now, not like you, you'd think a, a typical femme fatale would manipulate the main no. character who's usually yeah. a male. No, no. I'm talking about she does so through reason and through logic and, you know, yeah. compassion. Which it's is not sexual no. or anything like that. Not at all. Not like one bit. No way. Yeah, she doesn't tempt him with favors or anything like that. So she's a, a definitely a mm. very strong female character, at least in our minds, right? Believe yeah. from what we can see yeah. with our... A limited experience here <laughs> but i love yeah. female characters in comics you know I've, I've always loved them and marvel was one of the champions of trying to get them to and then they would take gross missteps you know sometimes you know like you have this great oh, title yeah. with ms marvel for instance written by Cl- chris claremont and then something terrible happens to her in avengers you know oh, which gosh. would just as a major setback again but um marvel definitely made some strides in giving female characters uh their their rightful place in in comic dim's uh, legendary halls i would say i mean characters like mm-hmm. she hulk ms marvel spider woman yeah those were some of my favorite favorite titles back then so mm-hmm. morbius still manages to free himself from this yard arm by swinging from it pivoting his body mm-hmm. and like a pendulum sort of pendulum uh, you know going back and forth he he manages to get the momentum going to kick um <laughs> death flame off of his horse and this is a great way but i mean it seems that death flame's entire magical nature uh consisted of him remaining on fire right billy fire flame flames yeah, yeah. flame so what does morbius do to kill him <laughs> well yeah once he swings around like a gymnast and kicks him off the horse he picks him up and just like dumps him into the uh trough. i guess it's called like a trough yeah, yeah it's a for, trough for the horses to drink yeah, he just dumps him in that, and then I love uh, the caption box. The caption box there as the great panel by Sutton too, where you can see him like almost like melting, like the Wicked Witch, and Morbius looking down at him, like what the heck? And it says it was nearly reverse decomposition. Rotted flesh took hold of his bones. The flames flickered, and then died. The fire was gone from his eyes, and then of <laughs> course the, the the big part of the page is that one that I said I just. I can't get it out of my head for years there. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, no, that panel is the that that's the best page in the entire book for me. With oh. the dead father on the gallows, oh. still with this hor- horribly broken neck, 
looking with this dead staring eye at what what transpires here morbius you know killing presumably also his murderer we could i think make the assumption that uh, amanda's father was also strung yeah. up by um by death flame and then morbius oh, yeah. murders him cronies, yeah. yeah and he looks possibly with gratitude but it doesn't look like it because the tongue is protruding from his from oh. his dead face this is amanda's father <laughs> now and then morbius walks away with the the steam still rising from this trough carrying amanda <laughs> into what what i think now is probably the sunset but it still might be you know, or sunrise but it's the still, moon yeah. the moon it still might be the moon yeah it still might be and there's at her, night and there's her father to the right there still hanging oh man Oof. like a little a little drawing of him there like a marionette yeah. like a little puppet yeah yeah oh, oh man How that awful. is an amazing page Billy dude <laughs> that is incredible but just dig Sutton's uh, writing here again mm. Morbius is now narrating once more he or says McGregor yeah uh, uh, sorry uh, McGregor's writing uh, he yeah. says, McGregor says, infinity beckoned beyond the gallows, and yet the gallows was also the center of our universe. Amanda sobbed quietly against my chest. I carried her away almost as if I truly believed the act of physical distance would separate her from such tragic, senseless waste. It didn't, but then mm. it never does. Wow. <laughs> so he carries her away from the corpse of her father, hoping that this would alleviate her pain, but he knows that it would never alleviate the pain. You know, this is mm-hmm. a, a pointless gesture on his part. So, yeah. wow, what a what a story, man. This is one of my favorites yeah. so far. Mhm. Believe. Yeah, oh yeah, it's one of the good ones, yeah, for sure. It's Oof. it's right up there. I don't these they could almost collect these uh Morbius stories from Vampire Tales and put them in like an oversized book, you know what I mean, because they were only eight or ten pages in so many issues of vampire tales but they could almost collect that and make a little book out of it and i'd now, buy it that's now, really cool here here you've got the the nice bit about the morbius omnibus billy you know i'm not a fan of the coloring the recoloring they did in the morbius omnibus but it's not bad at all when it comes you know let's say morbius's appearance and yeah they collected all the vampire tales uh, stories from morbius one after the other in the omnibus mm. it's beautiful they, they didn't cut co- they didn't color that. Nah, no, 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 oh, no. Okay. If they did that, yeah, man, I would throw that thing in the trash <laughs> or sell it. Heresy. Yeah, <laughs> that would heresy. be heresy. No, they didn't color <laughs> it. They didn't. No, of course not. But, you know, it's a great uh, section to read. When I was reading through the omnibus a couple of months ago and I got to the Vampire mm. Tales bits, I found I enjoyed it a lot reading it one after the other. I think it took me like mm-hmm. maybe the better part of an hour to read to, let's say, this part of the story. Um, mm. And it, it read read very well if you could read them in that sequence. So yeah, if, mm. if anybody's out there who doesn't mind the recoloring on Adventures into Fear, uh, and you want to pick up the omnibus, I'd say it's worth it if you can get it for sixty or seventy bucks, maybe, because just for the Vampire Tales material is great. But also the Adventures into Fear is not that bad, you know, Billy. It's not like the Swamp Thing. Um, what do you call it? Those new Swamp Thing editions that they put out from. The Moore, Totalbin, and Bissett material. I think it's called oh. the Master Edition or the or Absolute, Absolute or Editions maybe. of Swamp Thing. That recoloring is just blasphemy. They they completely oh. changed to Tajana Wood, Wallywood's wife, right? Tajana Wood's coloring on those oh, yeah. Swamp Thing issues. It's it's and she was good. They oh, didn't need was, to mess with that. She was great. She was amazing. No, she was great. The only uh. uh gripe i have with the vampire tales oh sorry i should say the morbius omnibus 
and those mm-hmm. Adventures into Fear issues is they made them too bright. You know, the original oh. comics were that even the blue and the red of Morbius's uniform was a little bit darker and uh, you know in line with the setting uh, the horror setting sometimes it would have a Mm -hmm. sci-fi feel to it you know when he went off to distant planets and he went off into the future and other dimensions but you know the the coloring still added to that feel of Morbius being a horror a horror hero but here Mm -hmm. you know in the omnibus it's so brightly colored you can see the digital coloring a mile off almost (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. the way they did that Still, yeah. a, a, a nice omnibus if you want to invest in, in the complete Morbius Bronze Age appearances. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think I only need one or two issues left because they got expensive because of the stupid movie coming out of the uh, Adventures in the Fear. I think I need 30 and 31 or 29 and 31 or something crap like that, and then I'll be complete on that. And other than, maybe, other than maybe one or two, like, Marvel team up or Marvel two and one or something like that appearances. I have everything in that omnibus. So I don't, I wasn't going to spend the money on that anyway, because I'd rather Mm. have that stuff. Just, you know, the originals and that stuff. There's some stuff I'm starting to come around on that. It's like, okay, I think I'm going to try to buy some omnibuy. Like, you know, you and I were talking off mic about some DC horror. I'm going to probably try to buy the omnibuy just because the single issues, I'm just so far behind yeah, uh, with with my buying habits over the years with DC, it, it's going to cost me way too much money. Where those omnibuy some DC horror came out, I think I'm going to go down that road. But there's just a lot of stuff that you know, a lot of my Bronze Age Marvel, I'm never going to replace that with a trade. I'm just going to stick with the originals and finish out the runs and all that jazz. Yeah, I think that's because of the bulk of our collections being the Marvel stuff from yeah. horror related Marvel stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good idea there, Billy. I understood. I understand why you would go that route and it's completely, you know, uh, what I would also do in that in that case. The only reason I picked up the Morbius Omnibus was to see those issues in a different light, you know, and because I got it on the cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, you know, it did disturb me a little bit when I saw the recoloring. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, Billy, let's get back to Vampire Tales here. We've got a second mm-hmm. tale called Sip the Sweet Poison. Interesting tale. It's about this... Uh, Security? Well, hold on. Yeah? I'm actually going to do a synopsis on this one. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I waffled back and forth a little bit, but the other one at the end, I do like the story, but I'm not really a fan of the artwork on that one. So I'm actually going to take this one, and then uh, we can just quickly uh, I'm gloss over it. the other. Dude, the I'm other. all for that. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> this 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 is not unexpected because this story, Sip the Sweet Poison, is definitely the, the, the second best story in this <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun one. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Billy, go ahead. Um, yeah. Who's the creative team on this story? So this is Doug Mensch, writer, and Billy Graham, artist, which yes. is super, super awesome because I love all his work in these uh, magazines. And then, of course, you and I on our Patreon are talking uh, some Billy Graham as well on uh, you know, our uh, yeah, Dragons dragons and Jive. So uh, definitely check that out. But yeah, we got him here and then Charlotte Jetter on Letters. Um, but yeah, this one is uh, uh, Horace Grimstone is a night watchman at a hospital. It's his job to oversee the blood bank room there's only one problem horace thinks he's a vampire (laughs) he works the (laughs) graveyard shift and even avoids the churches on his commute to play the part tonight though his supervisor says that there's a discrepancy in the books so he will count the bottles of blood horace knows his blood drinking will be discovered 
unless he can concoct a plan. He does, but then gets an unexpected visitor that helps the plan even further. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a great way to end that synopsis. That's exactly what happens. But <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. fantastic synopsis there, Billy, and a awesome tale. Uh, I don't know why I thought you would pick the Chaken tale to summarize. Maybe because in the past you've always done the last story, sort of, you know, sometime mm-hmm. in our previous Halloween vampire tale discussions. But this is the best story I, other than the Morbius tale. So you picked the right one. But mm-hmm. I loved it. That's all I'm going to say. This has a great twist ending. Very horror. Mm-hmm. O. Henry-esque. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You it's don't a, expect... It's a crazy... Yeah. It's, it's a crazy story, but... I mean, you you can, you know, if you've read a lot of crazy horror stories like this, you can kind of, you know, it's not a big shock to see what happens at the end. But this did remind me, I, I'll have to look it up. I have it in a reprint somewhere. I don't remember who the writer was. It was probably Stan Lee but, uh, or Larry Lieber. And Gene Colan did the artwork for a story. It's called, like, He Thought He Was a Vampire or something like that. And it starts out with this kid in a movie theater. Right. And he's watching, like, a vampire movie. And there's like a bunch of teenagers in front of him, like I think almost like schoolmates of his. And he gets like he wants to be a vampire and he's getting all worked up watching this movie and he bites the one dude on the neck. (laughs) (laughs) Like he doesn't like draw blood, but he like bites him. And they're like, what are you doing, you maniac? And he's like, oh, sorry, I just got carried away by the movie. And they're like, let's get him. And they're like, wait a minute, we recognize him. That's like, you know, George or whoever. He wants to be a vampire. It's his life's ambition is what the dialogue <laughs> says. Like, remember, to, to become a vampire. And they chase him. They're going to, like, try to kill this kid. And then he gets home. And now it's it's another twist ending to that one, too. But this sort of reminded me of that a little bit. But it, they go more into detail here. But, yeah, this crazy Horace guy, he's wild. He's really, like, he comes in for... You know, to work the graveyard shift at the hospital and says to the nurse and a doctor, Good evening. Your complexion, my dear, is as healthy as ever. You must like onions. They are good for the blood, you know. What? Yeah, he's doing Bella Lugosi and then he goes straight to doctor. What, what, like, um, you know, a doctor's advice, a dietitian's mm. advice. What? Well, obviously that's related yeah. to the blood, but I love the fact that he, he plays the part well because he he thinks mm-hmm. he is a vampire. He wants to be a vampire. He's convinced himself he's a vampire. He's a nut. And uh, mm-hmm. and this is where the dialogue gets great, right, Billy? Where, you know, um, <laughs> Doug Munch says, Horace thinks he is a vampire. Horace is a nut. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> oh, that's oh the... yeah. And then as he's drinking blood out of one of the, uh, you know, containers from like, you know, the hospital has to have the blood on hand for, you know, when people need transfusions and stuff room, like that. Yeah. Yeah, the supervisor walks in and goes, Horace. And he's like, huh? And he goes, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. And he has the, you know, half-empty container around his back, like hiding it behind his back as the supervisor's talking to him. And he had blood dripping down his mouth. It's crazy. It's nuts, yeah. Listen, uh, this is a great scene where the supervisor says, we're short 30 bottles of blood. And uh, if we, I'm going to do the inventory myself later, Horace. And if it uh, shows that it's, there's a discrepancy again, you're fired and so Horace mm-hmm. has to think fast. And what does he do? Well, he fills up 30 jars with water and adds iodine to them so that they <laughs> look like blood. And mm-hmm. this is where the ironic twist comes in. This is why this story is like a mix of Twilight Zone meets Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock <laughs> presents, mm-hmm. right? What happens yep. to him while he's filling up these bottles with iodine and water? 
smash right through the window comes a real vampire and puts the bite on him. It kind of looks like that movie. What the heck was that one called in the early 70s? Count Yorga vampire oh, yes, or something yes. like that? In fact, it they mentioned like him. Yeah, they mentioned Count Yorga in this very issue, right, Billy, when they get to the text piece of the Christopher Lee writes. Oh, they briefly mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, well, Count maybe, Yorga, yeah. it looks he looks like this this vampire mm-hmm. looks like. I mean, there are three big vampires in film at this point in time. Obviously Dracula and then it is possibly Count Karnstein, you know, the Karnstein name. And then there is Count Yorga. Those are the three big 60s, 70s vampires right on film count orlock obviously being from you know the 1920s we don't count him you know from nosferatu but um Mm -hmm. he he made a return later in the 70s with klaus kingsky klaus kingsky you know doing the you know the character but still billy yeah count yorga count karnstein and then of course dracula so this guy definitely resembles yorga you're right and then how about the bat flying away after it bit the guy horace (laughs) and then you know, a couple of like orderlies come in with the doctor and like, oh no, you know, he's lost a lot of blood. We're going to have to give him a transfusion. And of course, you know, they're like, why isn't this saving him? So Horace dies. Well, why does Horace die? Because they're giving him a transfusion of water with a little bit of iodine in it, not blood. <laughs> he died by his own hand, did old Horace. But mm-hmm. that's not the last twist, Billy, because what happens in the final three panels in the morgue? Mm-hmm. It says, but it is midnight. Time for Horace Grimstone to awaken. And he sits up with the sheet on him and it falls down and, and prepare for his night's work. Horace grins a very large grin for he knows that his teeth will no longer be a source of disappointment to him. And of course, he's now turned into a vampire because he was bitten by one. That's right. That harkens back <laughs> to that earlier panel where he he prepares for the night when he was still human and uh, he looks the part of a vampire except for his teeth. So he's always been disappointed mm-hmm. in his teeth which is just human looking. But now finally he got the set of choppers that he wanted all (laughs) along. And that is Horace the Vampire, folks. Uh, Wow, what a story, Billy. What a tale. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah, so final thoughts. Yeah, this story is great. Doug Munch, obviously Mm -hmm. one of our favorite writers. And Mm -hmm. uh, fantastic art by Billy Graham. I love it when Billy Graham does the shadowy interiors, like the morgue, and when he plays with the blacks. And the details on the way he does shading is pretty good too. Just a couple of lines, but it looks really great because he puts it in the right place when he does the shading on his his art. And there's a lot of black in this, right, Billy, because of the shadows mm-hmm. and, and the, the dark yeah. hospital at night. And I mean, the way he draws that plasma supply room is also pretty great. Uh, very. It uh, almost reminds yeah. me of a uh, oh um, a Skywald. Yeah. Thing. Oh yeah, that's the the best comparison, Skywald. Billy Graham mm-hmm. did some work for them. Tom Sutton, probably more so, but yeah. And yeah. it does look like this very dark Skywald-esque art that you get in this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, um, the blood shortage that they read about and that they mention a couple of times during this uh, issue, I mean, apparently there's been a citywide blood shortage. Could it be that Horace is the main reason for the citywide <laughs> blood shortage, Billy? Because, I mean, he's been well, working here for... For years, and he's been drinking blood from these <laughs> supply rooms. It, it does say at one point in the caption boxes, I think, that he drinks one every night. So that means he drinks 20 a month, you know, if he works Monday through Friday, at least. Wow. That's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> so he's single-handedly, let's just say that, Billy, 
according to us, he's single-handedly responsible for the city's blood shortage. <laughs> yeah, for real. He has to be. <laughs> it could also be that the, this vampire is to blame because why did this Count Yorga-looking Count, you know, smash through the window here? He might have been there mm -hmm. to just drink the blood, but could he have might been. have also been there to, to turn, um, you know... Uh, this guy into a vampire because after Horus, Horus yeah. may, he would make a good <laughs> vampire since he desires to be one but we don't know why mm -hmm. he was there and why he would smash through a window risking discovery just to drink the blood of this madman it could also be that Horus is so saturated with, with stolen plasma that he would taste extra <laughs> fine to this vampire <laughs> we don't know but that last panel Billy is fantastically rendered by Billy Graham yeah. look at that he looks creepy oh man he looks creepy the detail in his mm -hmm. face he almost looked like what Hitler would look like if he was a vampire <laughs> he does yeah Think you're about not kidding it. oh and then the next page though there he is there's our boy Christopher Lee oh man yeah. fantastic the, the text piece devil's den <laughs> they yeah they say? highlight a bunch of books and stuff yeah which is really cool yeah at first they talk about the upcoming Hammer horror releases The Legends of the Golden Vampires The Satanic Rites of Dracula which is touted as Chris mm -hmm. release final Dracula um, uh, you know role for Hammer and then they've got other things like Tales from Beyond the Grave The Exorcism's Daughter like you say now they're getting into the book releases right um, they talk about Pinnacle Books as horoscope series Tales of Horror and the Supernatural from Arthur Macken mm -hmm. one of the greats uh, who preceded Lovecraft, Arthur Macken did, and uh, mm -hmm. all of that. So a fantastic little bit of... If you were a vampire fan in the 70s, this is gold because it's not easy to look up this stuff in, let's say, maybe the library would have some of this um, you know, material, but it wouldn't be easy to discover these things without the internet back then, you know? So I think no. Vampire Tales served some pretty... It, it served, served a niche market, but it, it probably... That accounted for a lot of its sales, right, Billy? The folks wanted to know the news. Oh, yeah. Yeah, news of vampire releases other than comics. Yeah, I do want to point out one thing, though, that they uh, brain farted on. When it's saying about, you know, movies coming out and this and that, all that stuff, it says, Tales from Beyond the Grave, another Hammer product to be released through Warner Brothers. Uh, no, that would be an Amicus film. So, Oh, yeah, that's sorry. true. Yeah. That was Peter Cushing. And <laughs> who was it? I think Donald Pleasance, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's definitely Amicus. That's not Hammer. Maybe the Americans no. just labeled everything British horror as Hammer, <laughs> which is yeah, a, so a mistake. The car, yeah. Good good stuff by Carla here, but uh, she got that one wrong. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll forgive Carla Joseph for that one. <laughs> And yeah. then, you know, um, we've got a bit of a, a still from a movie um, of these two characters standing and then this, this beautifully drawn bat flying in front of them. That and is super cool. That is great. I love the fact when they superimpose some art, comic book art on top of a black and white photograph. I don't know why. Normally, I wouldn't always go for that, but definitely in Vampire Tales, it worked in these mm -hmm. magazines and they also did that in a couple of the other horror magazines of Marvel at the time now Billy the, oh, next, yeah. the next story is fantastic it's just called Bats and it's by Paul <laughs> Gulacy yeah. on art there Ooh. now do you want to speak about this tale this is an amazing story what happens yeah it's funny though how you know when you go to websites to look up the information on this it gives Doug Mensch uh, scripting duties here and other than one of the characters writing a note to another character there is absolutely <laughs> zero dialogue in this it's just it's just all art and it's glorious by uh Gulacy here yeah we see it just says bats and there's this giant 
cave. It almost looks like a mouth, and bats flying around, and we see one fly into a cave, and it's like a, you know, kind of a Dracula-looking character. And then there's this, you know, beautiful woman flying down the road on her uh, in her jeep, and uh, he jumps on the uh, hood of it and grabs her by the neck and bites into her neck, and then the jeep and the woman go flying off of the cliff, and of course he just turns into a bat and flies away. You know, and then we see. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I just wanted to say this is a word I discovered while I was researching what they were doing in this issue. This woman and her husband or lover, they are mm-hmm. chiroptologists. Now, what is a chiroptologist, Billy? It's a biologist uh, who studies bats. Bats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they only study bats. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. this chiroptologist has been waiting for her to arrive. He's, we don't know if he's, she's his wife or his lover. I, I think he, his wife, probably. They're a husband and wife team, much like, uh, you know, the husband and wife team from the Swamp Thing comics, which we so love, right? Alec Holland and Linda. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, and they're, they're met with tragedy here. So, continue. Sorry, I just wanted to insert that before I forgot. Oh, no. Chiroptologists. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, he gets, he gets this, you know, he sees this note and it says about her arriving. Um, on April 18th and then you know he just jumps in his jeep and takes off and he's you know checking out this cave and he's uh, all of a sudden he's like whoa there's a bat so he's got like this <laughs> looks like a butterfly net actually um, and he snatches this bat with it and he drives back to the place and you know he's wondering where the wife or lover is like you said and he resorts to uh, taking a couple uh, shots of whiskey and then all of a sudden two uh, state troopers come to the uh, door and they have her body there that you know she had died and of yeah. course he takes he he takes it very hard and pulls like a uh a romeo and juliet here <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's the best he commits suicide by drinking poison so he takes on the role of juliet <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so he takes the poison and he just falls over right over her body but then uh you know we see that uh the bat that he had caught busted out of the cage that he had put it in because it was that Dracula type guy. So that guy gets all pissed off like, oh, you want to cage me up, will you? I'll bite you. So (laughs) the vampire bites the guy who just drank the poison. So then the poison kills the vampire and then the girl wakes up and now she's a vampire. Exactly. And the man's (laughs) a vampire. Then she turns the guy into a vampire too. It seems that he wasn't completely dead yet. And now they're both <laughs> vampires, two chiroptologists who have become vampires themselves, living happily ever after. I should, yeah, now they're these yeah. cute little bats and they fly around together. <laughs> what a love story. Yeah, this is a fantastic <laughs> little, you know, silent love story, really. Reminiscent of old silent movies, right, Billy, which did mm-hmm. a lot of horror yeah. back then. Now, I should yeah, correct yeah. myself. The man did, in fact, take on the role of Romeo, right? It's just the order of their yeah, deaths yeah. were reversed. Because, no, uh, Romeo yeah. did take the poison. I just remembered Juliet was the one who, who impaled herself on a dagger, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 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 fantastic story. I love it. Bats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's you know only like, what, like seven or eight pages, something like that. But it's a heck of a lot of fun. It's insane. And I love it. And it's a love story. <laughs> and it, ha- it has a happy ending. That's not that's very rare for these vampire tales issues. And it's also a little mm-hmm. bit fun in a cheeky kind of way, right, Billy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is. It's, it's one of those ones that like, you'll either chuckle about it or you'll have a big smile on your face at the end. One yeah. or the other. Yeah. Now, this is something I want to mention, though. Okay, the, the, the characters in these tales are, you know, um, obviously George and Deborah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a character, the, the character of the vampire actually has a name. 
and the name is Volan Gol. Now, I don't know why, how they know that this character is called Volan Gol, but when I was doing research on this issue, right, Billy, Volan Gol mm -hmm. is a character in, this is the vampire's name. So I think there was supposed to have been a script, and then wow. they never, you know, they decided to go the other route and make it a silent uh, story. Uh, but this yeah. character had a name given by uh, Doug Munch, and um, Doug Munch, but yeah, his name's Volan Gol. Now that's an interesting name for a, for a vampire. I like that, Volan Gol. Yeah, it's pretty unique. Pretty Very unique. unique. Yeah. So a uh, fantastic story, and then we get to the last one, which you and I are not mm. big fans of, and and in fact, that's the one I thought you were going to do, probably well, because it's Doug Munch and Howard Chaikin, but we're not Chaikin fans most of the time. But yeah, let's I speak mean, on that. Yeah, I like the story. The, I like do like the story itself. It's just the artwork really isn't my you know my thing. Um, Agents of the Night Road, and it's basically you know you, we've seen you know stories like this before where uh, you know you have uh, some rich folks on a, a carriage going from one town to another, and you have some kind of uh, you know uh, criminals that are in, lying in wait. For the carriage to go by, so they can rob them, or you know, yeah, maybe Dick, even Dick shoot Turpin. them or whatever. Yeah, Dick Turpin, yeah. Uh, wannabes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on this night, you know, the carriage is coming through this, you know, dark and winding road here, and there just so happens to be two criminals that you know aren't affiliated with each other that want to jump this <laughs> carriage and steal its a uh, uh, cargo, whatever money they can get from the people aboard um, at the same time. So then all of a sudden they're like, "Wait a minute, I'm robbing this." You know, and the other guy's like, "No, you're not. I'm robbing this." And they're like, "Okay, let's fight over it." And uh, one of them's a little bit older of a gentleman, and one's younger. But the older one kind of starts to get the uh, upper hand. But the younger guy has uh, a friend uh, waiting I, to see, you know, what's hiding happen, in the trees. Hiding, yeah, <laughs> and he swings Errol <laughs> Flynn he, uh, style, Tarzan. <laughs> yeah, Tarzan style <laughs> yeah. from the trees and just kicks this older, <laughs> this older highway. Uh, banded in the face, right? And then they, mm -hmm. they kill him. He, they actually mm -hmm. behead him, right? They say they're going to behead him, and they do yeah. off-panel. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So what happens then, Billy? Yeah. <laughs> well, then the, the driver of the wagon tries to make a break for it, which is really stupid because they have horses as well. And you figure, you know, a guy on a horse is going to catch a wagon because two horses even pulling a wagon and three, yeah. four, or five people, it's, it's going to, you're going to catch them in no time. So they do catch up with them and, you know, they, uh, there's a pretty lady in there, and then there's some old guy that kind of looks like a little Ben Franklin-ish, and they're like, oh, you uh, you, oh, you have nothing? We're going to just kill you. And he's like, wait a minute, I have some information. And he tells them uh, that there's a ship down at the docks that has some very valuable cargo. So they're like, all right, let's go down there and, uh, and get that. And uh, there's a, uh, a surprise uh, waiting for them in the ship cargo area, isn't there? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, the, the funny thing about this, I mean, I love the writing on this as well by Doug Munch, uh, mm -hmm. is uh, the insults that these two highwaymen level towards these folk in the carriage. You know, this oh, yeah. well-to-do guy who's been paid to transport this valuable cargo from the ship who begs for his life by giving them the information, he's obviously, you know, he looks rich. And then you've got these two ne'er-do-wells who probably sleep in the forest all the time and when they talk to the <laughs> old guy they say all right speak on ali scum <laughs> these guys are ali scum how can they call this ben franklin-ish guy <laughs> ali oh, scum. Yeah, and, he said, and then he also says to him 
what do ye have to surrender, ye trembling poppin' jay? <laughs> yeah, that's the other one I was going to mention. I'm glad you, you took that from me, Billy, because you tre- ye trembling poppin' jay, that's the best one. <laughs> and then they and they're heading to liver- Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, they're heading to Liverpool, to the docks there, and then they stab this Ben Franklin guy through oh. the chest, through the, through the back. Like the neck. Yeah, oh, through gosh. the neck and then it's through awful. the chest. Yeah, it's horrible. And then they do turn up. And uh, one guy says he'll stand watch and the other, uh, his partner will go and investigate the cargo on the ship to see if it's legit. And uh, mm-hmm. then he doesn't come back. The man who entered, mm-hmm. uh, who um, went onto the ship to get this cargo. So yeah. his friend waits and waits and waits and then eventually decides enough waiting. He's going to see where his mate has got to. So he enters the hold of the ship and he finds this treasure chest apparently, but it turns out to be an empty coffin. Mm-hmm. With, with some dirt uh, on the bottom there. We know vampires sometimes <laughs> like to sleep in the, the soil from their native homelands. Soil. Mm-hmm, native soil. Mm-hmm. So what happens then, Billy? Yeah, then we see this beautiful uh, woman. And, uh, you know, she kind of says to the other guy, like, oh, you know, hey, I was hoping to meet a man here tonight, but not you. And I already met one man, and he was uh, timid and weak. And he did not, <laughs> he did not possess the blood you do. And the guy tries to, of course shoot her and stab her and of course that doesn't work because she is a vampire <laughs> and that is the only great panel in this book the rest mm. of them are okay to middling to bad you buy chicken you know this is definitely bad chicken for the most part but there's one great panel where she's just about ready to snack on him and it's sort of it almost looked frank miller like right Billy, like you would see from something from sin city or something or from the mm. dark knight returns yeah. or the daredevil comics he used to do she is superimposed mm-hmm. against the black background and her face is in gray yeah. with her teeth white and shining in the moonlight. Mm. And she then, you know, chomps on his neck. <laughs> He's dead. Yep. And that's where it ends. Now, this is some great writing here by by Doug Munch. Listen to this. A strident wail of agony and hellish damnation blooms from the freighter Henrietta. That's the name of the ship they're on. It is a grisly testimony that the highwayman named Jeremy, who has often taken from the rich, has finally given, not to the poor, but to the evil. (laughs) So this is playing on the Robin Hood myth of, you know, robbing the rich to give to the poor. He never gave to the poor, come on, but he gave his blood to the evil. (laughs) Whoa, I love that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I like it too. That's a good one. Yeah, like I said, love the story. But yeah, the art was just like, oh, yeah. And some of it really, it, it, most of it I would attribute to just, you know, not caring for Chaikin's art the way he drew this story. And then there are just some parts of it too that are very dark. And I don't think his artwork, the way it is in this issue, and it being in black and white helped it very much. You know, I think that was kind of a detriment. Yeah, I agree with you there. I um, feel the same way. I love Chaikin sometimes, but for the most part, his art, is hit or miss for me. So mm-hmm. I love it when he does Dominic Fortune, the character he created for Marvel mm. there in the Marvel yeah. premiere. I think it's issue 50. That was some pretty fine art. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, like you say, there are many examples where his art does not actually shine and where it uh, doesn't make the story more enjoyable. It, in fact, no. takes away a lot from the story. This is definitely the case. And then, Billy, we've got an ad saying, Morbius and Blade, the living vampire, the vampire slayer, mm. deadly duel at high midnight. That's the next Morbius tale featuring the cult demon fire, of course. And then Blade in Beware, the Death Legions. 
Mm. And that's in the next issue, issue 8 of Empire Tales, which we'll get to, definitely, probably a oh, year yes. down the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless we have another Lost episode, you never know. <laughs> uh, we might have, you know, it depends on uh, how I'm able to reclaim Lost audio. <laughs> I might mm-hmm. be able to shepherd yep. one in there come the halfway mark next year towards Halloween, towards October. You never know. Now, we're not doing our regular segments today. We're not doing Mighty Marvel Mistips and Bronze Age Brilliance or Shop Talk because this is our special Halloween-themed episode. We're doing a new mm-hmm. segment, Billy, and we're going back to our lists. And I mm-hmm. have decided to call this segment The Bloody List of Blood-Spattered Bodaciousness just because I love the word <laughs> bodacious and I think we should get that word back from the 80s, reclaim it from the early 90s mm. and 80s. So the bloody list mm-hmm. of blood spattered bodaciousness and what we're doing is top five, top fives. We've done that in the past on other previous episodes of Into the Weird. We're doing uh, top five vampire comics, top five comic book vampires and top five vampire movies, top five movie vampires and then top five vampire slayers finally. So five top fives. But we'll get to that mm-hmm. after this break. So listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in a moment with our lists. Don't go away. There's something like 115,000 English language podcasts in the world, and no doubt hundreds of them are aimed at the comic book genre. There are sci-fi comic podcasts. Horror comic podcasts. War comic podcasts! But do you know what we need? Two guys crazy enough to combine those fields and make a podcast of their very own? Yes. It's the answer to a question no one asked, so that's why we are answering it. Such a gaping hole in the podcast landscape must be filled post-haste. Did you really just use the word post-haste? The Weird Warriors podcast covers the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll also check out other horror and war comics published by DC, Marvel, Charlton, and any other targets that may present themselves to us. I have the war books, and he has the horror books. So if you're ready to take a nice, relaxing look at the hell of war in comic book form from the age of the caveman to the distant future, then report for duty by subscribing to the Weird Warrior Podcast, brought to you by the Brothers Flea, wherever fine podcasting provisions are issued. Vampires! Aliens! Dinosaurs! Alien dinosaurs! There's something for everyone. General Sherman said war is hell, but do you know what else is? weird for our purposes yes so tune in to the weird warrior podcast today do it that's an order yes sir don't call me sir i work for a living but we're not getting paid for this Dang. well i'm max and i'm rich and we're going to be bringing you the weird warriors podcast where we will promise to make war no more Greetings, mortals. It is I, the Dread Dormammu, once again, trying to remain sane in a world filled with trick-or-treaters and late-night horror movie marathons. Unfortunately, we can sample none of these things in the dark dimension. Unless, like last Halloween, some orphan trick-or-treater manages to mystically transport herself here for a bit of a begging session, lusting after candy, but I made sure that will not happen again. 
and since Billy and Herman are too important to give us a recommendations of Ragnar segment in this episode, it falls to me to fill up the space with something interesting. And I've come up with the ideal segment. Since interviews are all the rage on podcasts these days, I've decided to launch an interview of my own. So I've decided, rather than interviewing a creator in the comic book realm, I'm going to go straight to the source and interview one of the Marvel monsters. Now, the Frankenstein monster has cried off. Apparently he's too busy pitying himself. The Count, Count Dracula I'm referring to, of course, he's busy appearing on Halloween-related shows, trying to promote his brand. But I have managed to snag the third of the top three Marvel monsters out there, and that is someone by the name of Jack Russell. That's right, the Jack Russell from Werewolf by Night fame. And he's my guest this week. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? Hmm, yes, yes, very nice. Very, uh, trademark-esque. So, Jack, you've recently been the subject of a long-running podcast called The Werewolf by Night Podcast, and... Those two guys have recently wrapped up your run. So, how do you feel about that, uh, being left in the ether without anywhere to go? I see. So you're hoping for another ongoing series? Uh... Interesting. I hope that will happen for you, because, after all, I'm a big fan. Uh, now let's move towards other matters. Uh, a lot of characters these days are getting their own MCU TV show or movie. Is that something you'd like, Marvel, to uh, move towards for you personally? <laughs> consent to having a film made about you if they get Lon Chaney Jr. to play you? Uh, that might be a problem, I think. Uh, he's dead. Wait a minute, there's no... What, what are you doing? There's no need to do that. Uh, that that's my best throw pillow. And, and did you have to do that on the floor? Oh. Alright, this interview's over. Uh, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Anyhow, happy Halloween, mortals. I've got to go clean up this mess.
Billy and I are back with our bloody list of blood spattered bodaciousness. We'll start <laughs> off with our top five vampire comics. Now, Billy, let's do this. Um, you can go first with the, the the top five vampire comics, and then I'll go first with the top five comic book vampires, and you with the vampire movies, and me with the top five movie vampires, and then you know you again with the top five vampire slayers. Is that okay? Sounds great. Okay, great. So we we give our entire list, but uh, right off the bat, you go from five to to number one. So we count down uh, to our favorite. So Billy, what are your top five vampire comics, starting with number five? Okay, so number five for me is uh, House of Mystery, I Vampire. Um, that's a, a one that I don't have all of the run, but the couple issues I do have of it, I like it quite a bit. And, you know, our man Tom Sutton is in there, too. So Excellent you got to give him a... Excellent pick. Yeah. Excellent mm-hmm. pick. Number four. Uh, four is Adventures into Fear, of course. You know, we mentioned that earlier with uh, our buddy Morbius. There's just so much insanity calamity and creepiness in those issues <laughs> it's like it's it's a vampire comic on like acid it's it's great exactly exactly yeah that's a great mm-hmm. way to describe it and then mm-hmm. and then i have so it, it this is it's more of the character lilith you know i she was in some vampire tales and then i think also marvel preview as well so that I'll kind of combine them, those two into one. But, you know, the chapters that had her in them, uh, those for sure are some of my favorites. Love that character. And I love it that she likes to torment her father. You know what I mean? And then oh, yeah. none of the traditional things can stop her and hurt her, you know, that can stop a normal vampire. So I like that, too. She's one of the greats, Lilith. Love her. Mm-hmm. Love her. And mm-hmm. then? Number two for me is, you know, the Bram Stoker Dracula comic that uh, Roy Thomas and Dick Giordano did, um, where they started it in these magazines and then got to finish it many, many years later. That's that's number two for me. And then, I mean, come on, of course, number one, it's got to be, you know, Tomb of Dracula. It, yes. There's there's no yes, vampire Dracula comic that will ever top that comic. No way. Very true. Very true, Billy. Now, this is why you and I are friends. We have a lot of overlap, but there's also some parts that are different mm-hmm. because you know you can't just be a clone of your your best friend you kind of gotta have to bring something new to the table otherwise it's boring mm-hmm. right so a yeah, lot yeah. of our picks are the same but there's also some differences mm-hmm. so okay here we go with my pick number five is a modern vampire comic from vertigo which i absolutely love and that is american vampire from scott uh, yes. scott snyder and Raphael albuquerque that comic book is absolutely mm-hmm. nuts it's insane no holes barred horror to the max i gotta love that skinner sweet pearl jones two of my absolute favorite vampire characters and then of course they deal with other characters along the way a new vampire mythology that has been established and it takes a very interesting route right believe what if evolution also applied to vampires so you have different mm-hmm. species of vampires with different abilities and not just one single strain of the European vampire or the Asian vampire that we're used to in in comics and movies. This is like a vast variety of vampires. It's very interesting. And mm-hmm. um, also got a bit of a Western flavor. You know, what if the, the, yeah. the West had vampires? That's where Skinner Sweet comes from. He's, a, he's an outlaw cowboy-esque vampire from the 19th century. Very interesting. 
Um, Pearl Jones mm-hmm. is a is a Hollywood starlet type of vampire from the 1930s. So they've got these different eras that they they play with, and that's why this comic book is great because as vampires are immortal and they move up through time, different series in the American Vampire Tales comic has different settings and different you know times, and they reflect that in the fashion, in the clothes, in the the mentality of the time. It's amazing. So good yeah. on Scott Snyder there and at Raphael Albuquerque. So American Vampire number five. Number four is Adventures into Fear for me. You might be surprised that it's not higher up in the list, but you know Morbius dealt with a lot of non-horror type uh, scenarios in that Adventures into Fear run, which is I think mm-hmm. eleven issues. As there were sci-fi storylines, like I mentioned before, he he goes into other dimensions, but there are a lot of horror in there as well, especially the the reprehensible comics featuring the eyeball monsters <laughs> oh man that really disturbed me as a kid but i love it <laughs> so uh adventures into fear my number four then number three oh sorry number number three uh vampirella the warren mm. magazine vampirella featured a lot of vampire short story tales but also eventually vampirella in her own mag now i haven't read a lot of the newer vampire stuff a vampirella stuff from from dynamite and so forth but the character of vampirella and the comic book that, that started it all uh, in the 1960s over at warren that magazine was just you know groundbreaking so i kind of have to mm-hmm. pick vampirella on that list and then believe mm-hmm. this is uh, number two vampire tales the one we've been doing uh it has mm-hmm. become my second favorite vampire you know a publication in comics of all time you and I have mm-hmm. read it religiously ever since those little trade paperbacks came out. <laughs> what, 15 yep. years gone now. And yep. I read it every year and I love it. The entire series is just one masterpiece. And then finally, of course, Tomb of Dracula being my number one. Because there's just no mm-hmm. way anything can compare to Tomb of Dracula. I mean, it's one of the greatest comic book series of all time by Marth mm-hmm. Wolfman. And of course... The great Gene Colan with Tom Palmer on inks. How can you beat that creative team? Even Alan Moore's mm. Swamp Thing is hard-pressed to stay at my number one spot. But it is my number one. But Tomb of Dracula is neck and neck, very close to it. Sometimes it eclipses it, sometimes it doesn't. It depends when I'm rereading what, but that's how good it is. Now, a couple of honorable <laughs> mentions, Billy. You might notice that one of my favorite series... I Vampire from House of Mystery did not make the cut. I vacillated between mm-hmm. putting it on the list and taking away Vampirella, but there's so many great Vampirella stories and so little of what we got from Andrew Bennett in uh, House of Mystery, I Vampire. So that's why I kind of had to yeah. put Vampirella on that list. But a lot mm-hmm. of overlap, you know, between you and I, believe we were of similar tastes. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there sure. are yeah. probably folks screaming, why didn't I include, you know, Dark Horse's Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for you Buffy fans out there, but nope, that's not my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. All right, Billy, now it's my turn to go first with top five comic book vampires. Now, this is not related mm-hmm. to the vampire comics. I mean, some some are, of course, characters from those comics. But the first pick being top five vampire comics, these are the top five comic book vampire characters that we're talking about. Okay, my number five is Vampirella. From the planet Hmm. of Draculon, planet of vampires, Vampirella is a fantastic character. She's very unique as a vampire. Of course, she has the super strength. She has the, uh, you know, penchant for 
drinking blood, staying out at night, not liking the sun. But she also sports these large bat-like vampire wings that protrude from her back that she uses for locomotion, for getting around and just for scaring the crap out of her enemies. And she's got these <laughs> massive talons that she uses to to rake into her foes. I love her. And she's beautiful. She's sexy. She's always drawn alluringly. Mm. I love Amparella. She's my number five. Mm-hmm. Number four, oh, yeah. another lady. Pearl Jones from American Vampire. She's <laughs> probably one of my favorite female characters of all time. She's right up there with She-Hulk, maybe even eclipsing She-Hulk a little bit as a strong female character who f- forges her own path and makes her own destiny. She's just am- amazing. She's a spitfire, um, very <laughs> much her own woman, and she doesn't take a backseat to Skinner Sweet, who's her main competitor mentor sometimes enemy in the series i just love pearl jones and she's a beautiful lady um hollywood starlet from the 1930s <laughs> what's not to like it's kind of the fey ray oh, yeah. of the vampire set Ooh, nice yeah although she doesn't resemble fey ray actually all right so um then number three andrew bennett from i vampire I love the character. That's why I put him on this list. He didn't make my favorite comic, vampire comic series list, but he definitely makes my favorite character list here. Andrew ben- Bennett as my third favorite vampire in comics. He's just a f- fantastic 17th century, 16th century nobleman who hunts his love, Mary, the Queen of Blood, throughout the ages because he regrets the, the deaths he caused once he made her a vampire and she just went insane and started to want to take over the world with her Blood Red Moon organization. So I had to pick Andrew Bennett there and his quest to end vampires. And then number two would be Marvel's Dracula, specifically Marvel's version of Dracula. I love the Count as presented by Marvel, a mix between Vincent Price and Jack Palance as Colin mm-hmm. drew him. And that is just the best version. I, I Even Mary Shelley's original version is hard to, to compete. You, you cannot compete with the version we got in Marvel Comics, right, Billy? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Marvel's Tomb of Dracula. And then, then number one, you know who's number one. I We just talked about him for this entire podcast almost. And that is my man, Morbius, <laughs> the living vampire. He's a vampire that came out of science, but deals with supernatural events throughout his career and I love Morbius just because he was one of the first comic book characters I fell in love with along with Doctor Strange when I was a kid in the 70s growing up reading comics Morbius was there for me I I, I always loved monsters you know the Hulk the man thing swamp thing and um, Doctor Strange was my first favorite superhero character but Morbius definitely my original favorite monster character yeah, so that's my list, Billy. What are your top five comic book vampires? Okay, so counting down from number five is Andrew Bennett. You know, we already went over him. You know, oh, yeah. I gotta have him on the list because just the visual alone is awesome. Got it. Uh, number four. This might come as a little bit of a shock to you, but I really did love this character, even though he didn't really uh, stick around uh, very long. Uh, Deacon Frost. <laughs> oh yeah, the enemy of Blade. And uh, yep. also the enemy of uh, sometime, you know, Dracula himself, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in the in the yep. Tomb of Dracula comics. Yeah, Deacon Frost is a great villain, totally different from the 
the version we got in the movies, though, right, Billy? Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's more of like an old fart. Like I don't know if he got bit when he was like seventy or something, <laughs> but he, he's like an old dude. But I still like him because he's I love he's kind of craft he's kind of crafty. So I like him. And again, yeah, he's responsible for Blade. So you know, how about that? So uh, number three, Vampirella, like you said. I mean, Vampiress, you know, sexy lady. You, you got to roll there. You can't go wrong there. And then number two is Michael Morbius. So you know, obviously, you know, I. He's pretty far up there for me too. You're he's your number one, but he's number two for me. But then my number one is you know of course you know Dracula mm, from, Dracula, uh, from Tomb, Tomb of Dracula. Dracula. Yeah, I, I suspected that, Mister B. I definitely didn't oh, know you man. were going to go that route, and I'm not disappointed at all. <laughs> his, yeah, his his uh, ability to smack talk is unrivaled. His, I love it. His smack talk, his pimp slapping, his mm. aggrandizement, his arrogance. Yeah, he it's it's just he's such a singular Talk, character. Yeah, talking about himself in the third person all the time. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> Incredible character. Yeah, no good picks, Mister B. Good picks. I do have some honorable mentions mm -hmm. for me. For me, I did not mention Lilith. She's on my honorable mentions list, and I did not mention Cassidy from Preacher. Cassidy, a character mm. that showed up in in DC's Vertigo title Preacher. Uh, Irish vampire, hard-drinking vampire Cassidy is a bit of a bastard, you know, at the end there. Betrays his mm. best friend by sleeping with his, his girlfriend Tula, but um, oh boy. in the end, he redeemed himself, yeah. So, Cassidy from Preacher. All right, so, mm. Billy, now we get to our top five vampire movies. Your turn to mm -hmm. go. Now, this is pretty a big deal, folks, because Billy and I, we've been watching horror movies since we were little kids. We're big fans of Hammer movies. I'm curious. I... I can honestly say I don't know which way you're going to go here, Billy. So top five vampire mm -hmm. movies, go. Okay, so number five is Bram Stoker's Dracula from, I think it was 1992. Oh. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. Francis Ford Coppola. Mm. Mm -hmm. Good pick. Yeah, Good yeah, pick. I, I really like that movie for its visuals. And, you know, uh, Gary Oldman I thought was pretty good in there. I like the the vampire and he's like you know changing into rats and wolves and all sorts of crazy stuff i thought that was pretty good so that's my number five very true to the novel that's why that that mm -hmm. character worked yeah. yes and then the brides of uh dracula Ooh. there too oh my word um, <laughs> eastern european so, models most of them <laughs> yeah 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 lock me in a room with them anytime i'm no problem <laughs> lucky Keanu I won't Reeves. Even try, yeah i won't even try to get out <laughs> i'd ruin the plot of that one in no time fast but um, and number four, <laughs> I have to go with, you know, Dracula from 1931, Bela Lugosi, you know, it's, it's I almost feel like you have to have that on a list because of it, you know, kind of, I mean, you, you did mention that there was a, you know, a, a vampire movie before that one, but that was kind of the one to really, you know, really Nosferatu, set the stage yeah. for, yeah, yeah, yeah. set the stage for the horror. It sowed the seeds for the horror feels. Yeah. To come. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I got to have that one in there. And then number three is <clears throat> Blackula. Mm, Come on. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. love that dude. Oh, man, he's he's right. He's like the movie version of Tomb of Dracula with pimp slapping and his jive talking. I love him. He, he's just awesome. I got to have him on my list. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Uh, and then uh, number two would be Dracula, Prince of Darkness, believe Ooh. it or not. That's... Uh, Yes, mm, yes. That's I love that a one. Hammer classic. 
Um, and mm-hmm. you and I, uh, have we discussed that before on Magazines and Monsters? I don't think so. We might have no. live tweeted it or something, right? Billy? No, I don't think I don't think we did either. It's it's on the list, though, so don't worry. We're eventually going <laughs> to we're, we're eventually gonna talk about that one, but we have not talked about that one yet. But my number one, we definitely have talked about Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, that's mm-hmm. You're going to be impressed with me, Mr. B. All right, so mm. fantastic list. No, it, it did not disappoint. I was not actually surprised. You you picked some really good ones, and the ones that mm. I suspected you might have, I was just not sure about the the order. So thanks, Billy, for that. Mm-hmm. Now, mine is, um, I was going to, first mm-hmm. I should mention, I was going to put uh, Bella Lugosi's original Dracula as number seven. Well, it is number seven on my list, and number six would be Bram Stoker's version of Dracula. But then it goes a mm-hmm. little bit wild. I'm sure you wouldn't have <laughs> expected me to go this route. All right, so my number five, and I'm I'm very upset you didn't mention this, but you know, not surprising because there's so many other great things on your list. The TV movie Salem's Lot, mm, Stephen King based yeah. novel, you know, starring David Soul, uh, Kurt Barlow as the vampire. It's amazing. Mm. Salem's Lot, one of my ultimate favorite uh, movies of all time, horror related. So Salem's Lot is there. And then number four, Blackula. That's the movie you and I both uh, love. And we bonded mm. over that movie many a time, even more mm. than we did over comics. You know, we live tweeted both movies in the past, uh, <laughs> along with our friend mm-hmm. um, The Last Drive-In on Twitter. And it was great. So Blackula, a favorite. So number five, mm-hmm. Salem's Lot. Number four, Blackula. Number three, a Swedish film. Let the right one in. Oh yes. Now I'm not talking about the American remake here of Let Me In. That that movie's a gross interpretation of the original. The, this is based off of a novel by uh, John Avid Lindquist, which I read, but only after I saw the movie for the first time. And the the movie is stunning, about this little girl vampire Eli, who makes friends with this bullied boy in a playground in the snowy Scandinavian. A small town where they live and then how they sort of grow up together and how she helps him with his uh, problems and he helps her in turn because she's got this ailing guardian who needs to supply her with blood because she's a child and if he can't do it then she has to go looking for it on her own and just it's it's horror mm-hmm. it's complete horror because uh, you don't expect yeah. to see what you do but but you do see it and, and they go completely into the horror direction there so let the right oh, yeah. one in. It's just a fantastic film. What do you think about the movie, Billy? We've never spoken about that, I think. Well, we we did briefly because I have not seen that original version. I only was able to see the remake. That ah. was all I have seen. I have not seen that original one. I remember you urging me to be like, see the original. It's 10 times better. So I'd still need to see that one. Okay, do so, Billy, because it's amazing. And then we can do that on Magazines and Monsters in the future. I would love to talk that movie. Mm-hmm. If, if you do, in fact, like it, I'm sure you will. And mm-hmm. then, Billy, my number two is one of my ultimate favorites. It made me a fan of this director, and that is the movie Kronos by Guillermo del Toro from the early 1990s, starring Ron Pil- Perlman, but actually mm. the more famous actress, uh, uh, actor, I should say, in this. The main actor that I'm referring to is Federico Lupi, and he plays this character called Jesus Gris in this movie, and then... Uh, it's it's not really... I mean, it's difficult to describe this as a vampire movie. It's sort of vampirism induced by alchemy. But once you mm. do, you know, become a, this alchemical vampire, you are definitely bloodthirsty and you start murdering people. So that's why this is one of my favorites. 
and the the, the mm. way it's filmed as well by del toro you can really see the talent there right from the get-go and the practical effects is unreal so yeah chronos firmly in my number two spot and then lastly you will be impressed my favorite is also dracula has risen from the grave <laughs> yeah that movie is it's unbeatable really the hammer mm. classic christopher lee's best dracula performance and i just don't see how anything can beat that movie uh, as a vampire mm. movie dracula's risen from the grave. love it love it so believe some honorable <laughs> mentions here the lost boys i would i'm a big fan of mm. the lost boys one of my yep, childhood favorites yeah vampire circus also from hammer um mm. not critically acclaimed but but it's one of my favorites i love that the way the the whole gypsy vampire thing that they've got yeah. going there kiss of the vamp no not kiss of the vampire sorry shadow of the vampire which is sort of the remake of of the classic movie Nosferatu with Count Orlok, but it's done with Willem Dafoe as Count Orlok. And it's sort of a documentary of how the film Nosferatu was made. It was made in, I think, 2000 or released in 2000. Did you ever see that? Shadow of I, the Vampire. I remember it coming out, but I have not seen that one. It's incredible. you got to see that. And then uh, mm. I would be remiss not to mention Scream, Blackula Scream. Uh, for an honorable mention <laughs> it's called i kind of like blackula too right because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's got oh, pam yeah. greer in it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. william marshall returns as blackula and that deep voice of his is just the, the perfect voice for a vampire james mm-hmm. earl jones-esque level voice so, oh yeah so billy i think we 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 did well on this top five vampire movies list i think movie aficionados mm-hmm. out there horror aficionados would uh, applaud us for this list of vampire movies, I hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Absolutely. now it's my turn to go with top five movie vampires, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so number five, these are the top five vampire characters in movies. Number five, Kurt Barlow from Salem's mm. Lot. Very scary, doesn't say a word, but he's got those mm. funky teeth, bald pate, and because of that <laughs> silence of his, the way he approaches is just, terrifying utterly terrifying so kurt barlow number five number four jesus greece played by federico lupi whom we just mentioned from chronos he's such a Mm -hmm. human type vampire and he's taking care of his wife and he's taking care of his young granddaughter at the same time as he's becoming a vampire and he's becoming younger so dealing with an older man suddenly becoming a vampire and then suddenly have he 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 de-ages and he becomes more uh, you know, uh, energetic, more vir- virulent, more mm-hmm. sexual in his approach to his <laughs> wife. Yeah, this He played a fantastic vampire in that movie. It's just, you have to see it. And number three, Eli, the girl vampire from Let the Right One In. She's one of the most, All I don't right, know, yeah. uh, no, she's memorable, I think. The most memorable vampire characters on film. Number two, Billy, Blackula. <laughs> William Marshall's Blackula. How can you? This this guy is great. He's not like Dracula <laughs> at all. He's a black Dracula, but he's not. He's his own personality, his own vampire version. He's not even associated with Dracula. In fact, Dracula in that movie is a wimp compared to William Marshall's Dracula. Oh, Prince yeah. Mamawaldi. <laughs> we he's love him. We love Blackula. And number one, mm-hmm. of course. The man who can never be beaten in this role, even not even by Bella Lugosi, Christopher Lee's Dracula. He's the best mm. vampire on film. 
our Bruckner argument. Uh, sure, Bella Lugosi is great, but he's not my Dracula. This is my Mm-mm. Dracula, Christopher Lee. Yeah. There will not ever be any other Dracula except him. So, mm-hmm. so that's my list, Mr. B. What are your top five movie vampire characters? Okay, so there's going to be a good bit of overlap here, so get ready. (laughs) (laughs) I expect it as much. (laughs) So number five is uh, Mr. Barlow for me as well. Like you said, crazy. Just that one scene alone when he goes in the jail cell and kills that one guy. It's just one of the creepiest movie scenes ever. Um, number, number, Number four, though, for me is Count Meinster from Brides of Dracula. Oh, that crazy dude. He is and mad, he, yeah. He's insane, and he put the bite on Van Helsing. So imagine that. Yeah, that's uh, not mm-hmm. even Dracula himself could do that. So, yeah, that puts him high mm-hmm. on the list. You're right. Very, very good choice. Mm-hmm. And then number three, here's another one that might surprise you, is uh, part of the Bloodthirsty trilogy, Lake of Dracula, the vampire in there. He didn't have a name. It was just, you know, he was just the vampire in that movie, and... Uh, the actor's name was uh, Shin Kashida, um, and I love that. It's a creepy vampire in that movie. Okay, now listen, Mr. B. Ewell, this is blasphemy. I've never seen that Blood Thirsty trilogy, that um, Japanese trilogy. I cannot oh, yeah. find it here. I don't know why, because I'm in the East, in Asia. This should be easy to find. Nope, it's not available. i got to find a way to watch this. So if you could ever send me a link to a free site that streams it, please oh, do. Yeah. Please do. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. Because, yeah, th- all three of them are good, but... That one's probably my favorite out of all three of them. Right. But um, yeah, and yeah, that guy's creepy as hell. So uh, then uh, number two is Blackula. There you <laughs> go. That's this where we I, get the most overlap here, I'm sure. Number two and number one, right? So Blackula number two. Yeah, I love him. And then uh, number one, of course, you know Christopher Lee, Sir Christopher Lee himself. You know, as Dracula in the Hammer films. There it's just you he go. he can't be beaten. Can't be beaten. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's just great. Honorable mentions, though. Like I said, to Bella Lugosi's Dracula and also Johnny Alucard, which we talked about <laughs> earlier uh, in the show. I think uh, Chris and Cindy Franklin are doing their House of Franklin Steen and they've discussed the movie that features Johnny Alucard, who's this mm-hmm. 1970s disco era <laughs> vampire, sort of. Uh, no, maybe not disco era, but yeah, early British pop, pop rock, maybe vampire, if you can describe him like that. Mm-hmm. I love Johnny Alucard. And then Udo Kier's Dracula in uh, <laughs> Blood for Dracula. Oh, I just had to mention that because he's such a silly, stupid, wimpy Dracula, but it works. <laughs> Udo <laughs> Kier. Great. Yeah, he was also in the Blade movie as one of the, the vampire elite. And then shout mm-hmm. out to Jerry Dandridge, played by Chris Sarandon in Fright Night. And finally, mm-hmm. David from The Lost Boys. Played by Kiefer oh, yeah. Sutherland. Yeah, those are some yep, pretty he was good. damn great characters. Yeah, he was he was better than the head vampire. That's right, he was. Yeah, I mean the head vampire mm-hmm. was just Absolutely. some guy running a DVD store or a video store, I should say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was like an old goof. Yeah, yeah. So no, he wasn't very mm-hmm. scary looking. He looks he looked pretty good when the makeup started to effects started to come out at the end. But yeah, David was the one carrying the whole movie. I'd say. David and, of mm-hmm. course, maybe Corey Himes' character, you know. But, um, yeah, basically, that's yeah. as a vampire ghost, David is hard to beat. Very, you know, uh, distinctive-looking character. You know, this vampire with these, this white spiky hair sporting these rock-and-roll togs and, and trench mm-hmm. coats, yeah. So, fantastic list there, Mr. B. I concur. Yours is pretty great, I must admit. But there's mm-hmm. two on that list. Count Meinster, that, that was... Um, 
uh, blind you blindsided me with him and then of course the vampire from lake of dracula that i still have to sample so please let me know how i can get to seeing that finally mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. now top five vampire slayers now this can be from mm-hmm. comics from movies from novels it could be any vampire slaying character <laughs> oh and i did miss I uh, misspoke there in our last segment. It's Baron Meinster, not Count oh, Meinster. Oh, Baron Sorry Meinster. about that. Sorry, Baron yeah. Meinster. That's right. That's right. Sorry. I remember Freudian, that too. Freudian slip. There. Freudian <laughs> slip there. Okay, so top five vampire slayers. So for me, uh, this is a real easy one. Uh, number five is Quincy Harker, you know, from Tomb of Dracula. I love him. He's got his dog there, uh, you know. His wheelchair. He can sick on people. His crazy wheelchair. With the gadgets. With devices, <laughs> poison darts and everything else. Yeah, he's awesome. So I love him uh, quite a bit. Um, and at number four, Hannibal King. I love him. Also, the detective, you know, in the comic uh, Tomb of Dracula. That's so right. awesome. I That's love that right. character. And he's a vampire uh, himself, no. but he kills vampires. Yeah. So pretty damn cool. Mm-hmm. And then number three, this one might uh, throw you uh, This is a little bit of a curveball here, but Simon Belmont from the Castlevania video game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would I would agree with that one because he's recently featured mm-hmm. on that Netflix show Castlevania, and he's absolutely fantastic in that. But in the video yeah, game, also he's a classic. <laughs> he's great. Yeah, I just I liked playing that when I was a kid, so I was like, oh, he's cool. I always like him. <laughs> yeah, so we we did say from there. any <laughs> any vampire character from any walk of life from any entertainment form. So yeah, you pick Simon Belmont. That's completely mm-hmm. fine from video games. <laughs> <laughs> and then number two is Blade. I love Blade, that character. That's right. All the way up until like, you know, the nineties. I, I liked him quite a bit. After that I feel like they kinda I don't know, I didn't really care for him too much after that. But you know, even in Night Stalkers I liked Blade there. So yeah. You know, cool character. Love the sword. You know, he's cool. Yeah. Definitely Blade like is him. Damn, so damn cool man. The epitome of cool. And number one, yeah, very yeah. Predictable. I'm sure I know your number one, Mr. B. Yeah, it would be Van Helsing, you know, especially the Peter Cushing. So yeah, yeah, gotta yeah. go with him. There you gotta go. go. There you go. Okay. Now we must mention mm. to listeners, we did not share lists before we started recording. Mm. So th- no, these were no, s- no. Most most of the, uh, these entries were completely, you know, new to each other. But but I knew which way you're gonna go. I'm very similar to yours, mm. Mr. B. But number five, I've got Mark Petrie, the boy from Salem's Lot. Oh yeah. In in the in the novel, he's even more resourceful than in the movie. But mm-hmm. in the movie, he's pretty damn resourceful too, because he gets well, revenge you and I for talked his parents' about death. That. Yeah, we talked about that with yeah. Ryan Daly, didn't we? On the Salem slot. No, that. Oh no, that no, was, that was just that was, you and me. you and I just talked oh, about that, and then right. you, you you yeah at the end of that after the movie talk, you talked about you know. Uh, the novel as well oh, pretty extensively we didn't at have the end ryan of that one, on that so. show you know it's a shame we, no. we didn't have ryan on that show because actually salem's lot is one of his favorite novels favorite mm-hmm. stephen king novels yeah so sorry mm-hmm. i completely brain farted there yeah ryan was not there with us uh, although we mm-hmm. would have liked him to be we should have asked him <laughs> damn it we'll, we'll have to that. egg him on we'll have to egg him on and find some more stuff to talk to him about <laughs> yeah definitely definitely we'll do so mm-hmm. Ryan from midnight the podcasting hour which is still mm. sorely missed although we did have a return on magazines and monsters <laughs> of pj frightful yes <laughs> that was great so ryan <laughs> if you're listening lot. thanks for that man that was that made my whole month my whole year actually you know so yeah 
great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was on yeah magazines and monsters, and that was uh, episode twenty one where we talked about Dark, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Of the Scarecrow, that's right, which is a <laughs> recent uh, episode that aired. Yeah, so have a l- mm-hmm. listen to that, listeners. And then Billy, mm-hmm. um, okay, so Mark Petrie is my number five. Number four is Quincy Harker from Tomb of Dracula. He's Woo-hoo! just the quintessential vampire hunter, you know, with all of his devices and his hatred for Dracula and his his obsession. And he managed to to then take out Dracula at the very end. Spoilers for folks mm-hmm. who haven't read it, but that that is what happened. At the end, he got his mm-hmm. his revenge and he saved the world from a great evil. And then mm-hmm. number three, Rachel Van Helsing from mm-hmm. the Dracula Tomb of Dracula comics as well. I loved her. She's mm-hmm. one of those Pearl Jones esque characters, very strong female character that I am absolutely in love with. So yeah, she was yeah. with me through many a day in my childhood when I read Tomb of Dracula over and over again. Rachel Van Helsing, one of the great mm-hmm. female characters in Marvel Comics, actually. And then number two, Blade. I had to pick Blade. Um, not because of the movie, actually, more because of the comics. Because when the character of Blade debuted in the comics when I was a kid, I immediately thought, this guy is great. Because I was a big fan of black exploitation movies and films and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. Power Man... You know, I was a big fan of his. And then when yeah. a horror-esque black character came along. Now, there was Dr. Voodoo before that, right? Um, Jericho right. Drum. I loved him too. But he was more a mystical character for me uh, in the Doctor Strange universe. So I, when Blade came around killing vampires, I was like, yeah, this guy, man. I love him. With his wooden knives, which was his thing back then. And then when mm-hmm. the movie came out, I thought, oh, no, this is not the character in the comic books. But as the movie progressed, as I watched it in the theater... I fell in love with it. The whole universe that they established, the mythology, uh, and his, yeah. you know, I just uh, adored that movie. Um, so, yeah, Blade mm-hmm. definitely has to be my number two. And then number one, same as you, Billy, uh, Peter Cushing's Van Helsing. There's just no other actor that captured the essence of that character as well, not even Sir Anthony Hopkins. How could you compare to Peter Cushing's Van Helsing? I, in fact, the only character that Cushing played that I would say was better than his Van Helsing is his Dr. Frankenstein. Um, mm-hmm. Now, lots of people would disagree with me. They would say his Van Helsing is the, the best role that he played. Maybe Dr. Frankenstein number two. I just found him so deliciously evil as Dr. Frankenstein. But his Van Helsing is incomparable if you talk about vampire hunters. He showed up in so mm, many Hammer was... films. Yeah. And he was a pretty good Sherlock Holmes as well. Oh, of course, man. He's, for me... the <laughs> And Doctor Who. <laughs> okay, Doctor Who I still have to sample, but I'll take your word for it. Because when has Peter Cushing ever not played a fantastic role or character? <laughs> I mean, he's he always makes it his mm-hmm. own and brings his, uh, his charm and his style to the role. So, yeah, he's class. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some honorable mentions, right, Billy? Uh, bu- okay, mm-hmm. so uh, sorry again to the Buffy fans out there. I did not put Buffy even on my honorable mentions list. It's not because <laughs> I hate her. It's just because it's almost Twilight-esque for me. You know, the Buffy universe. Not what they did to vampires, but mm, I don't know. It just uh, didn't work for me. Sorry sorry to the Buffy fans out there. Okay, so honorable mentions. Tosh from Tomb of Dracula, the, the, the stoic, silent Indian henchman of uh, Quincy Harker, Tosh. Uh, then uh, Hannibal King which you had on your list, Billy. Mm -hmm. A fantastic character. I've always loved him ever since he showed up in Tomb of Dracula. Uh, Vassals, the Vassals of the Morning Star, which are the foes of the American vampires in the series American Vampire. 
the vassals of the Mooring Star. Mm-hmm. These guys are fanatics in how they approach killing vampires. Just insane. And then Lorimer Van Helsing, Billy. <laughs> Peter Cushing played him <laughs> in Dracula AD 1972, a descendant of um, you know, Abraham Van Helsing, his character that he played in uh, you know, uh Dracula, the horror of Dracula. So uh, mm-hmm. I love him. I love Lorimer Van Helsing, you know, because he's a doctor who does not believe in vampirism. In fact, he believes his ancestors' whole pursuit of vampirism is, a, a, you know, a ghost hunt, a joke, you know, and uh, and then he starts <laughs> to believe throughout the movie. I love Lorimer yeah. Van Helsing. And he played it differently than the traditional Van Helsing. That's why he's such a great actor. He could take the role of yep. a Van Helsing and completely change it in the modern setting. And then mm-hmm. David Soul's character, Ben Mears, in Salem's Lot. Honorable mention to him. And finally, an honorable mention to the Frog Brothers from <laughs> The Lost Boys. <laughs> Corey Feldman and his buddy there as the Frog Brothers. <laughs> I love them. Running mm-hmm. a comic book shop, Billy, come on. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So amazing to uh, Vampire Hunters. <laughs> Very clumsy and, you know... Uh, they rely on luck more than skill, but it works out in the end. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So Good when choice. in doubt, when in doubt, go to the comics. That'll that'll set you right. That's mm-hmm. what the, that message is from the Frog Brothers there. So that brings <laughs> us to the end of our Halloween special, Billy. We'll leave by thanking our host of Allies of Agamotto for supporting us again, and also our patrons. So mm. um, we have a lot of patrons on Patreon already, and we appreciate their support. Thank you for that, everybody. And of Absolutely. course, if uh, you want to check out our Patreon, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com forward slash into the weird. And there, if you do decide to join for the $5 tier or the $10 tier, you'll be getting three shows extra a month. And that is our Dragons and mm-hmm. Jive show where we discuss... Uh, Gong Fu action, Marvel Shang Chi, and Iron Fist, and also some black exploitation, Luke Cage, Power Man, and we've also got the House yep. of Licensed Ideas with Rom, and you know stuff like the Micronauts and Micronauts. Yeah, we've got uh, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, Tarzan, John Carter, War of Mars, Star Wars, all of that uh, goodness coming up, and then finally Radio Free Hyboria, where we discuss Robert E. Howard's properties over at Marvel, Conan, Cull, Red Sonja, and the like. So mm-hmm. we'd really appreciate it if you give us a look at least. And if you decide to join, hey, so much the better. You'd be supporting us and we would try to then improve the quality of our content the more Patreons mm-hmm. we get. Um, so, yeah. yeah, thanks to our existing patrons and also all our friends on Twitter. Billy, where are you on Twitter if they want to to seek you out? Uh, that would be uh, at Billy D underscore Licious. That is where I uh, promote all my shenanigans right there. That's right. Check out Billy's Magazines and Monsters podcast. There's a couple of great mm-hmm. Halloween-related shows uh, out there uh, on Mon- Magazines and Monsters. And also your blog, right, Billy, which is of the same name. I'm at Dark Longbox. I've got two dark uh, Longbox of Darkness episodes out this month for Halloween. And then uh, we're also at Into Weird on Twitter. And then check mm-hmm. out our other shows, Billy, which are not Halloween or monster or, or horror <laughs> related, which is the World on Fire podcast, where we discuss All-Star Squadron, the DC mm-hmm. series from the 80s, and also our Infinity Inc. podcast, Star Rocket Radio, which is a newer yeah. podcast. We've got uh, only two episodes out, but uh, so far, uh, good downloads on that one. People seem to like that title, and uh, yeah, we've got a host of new fans 
over there, you know, of mm-hmm. that title showing up and, and listening to it. Yeah. But other mm-hmm. than that, Billy, uh, great going here. We've had a fantastic Halloween special yet again. I had a lot of fun, so thank you for that. Oh, yeah, this was a blast. The, the issue and then doing the top fives was a lot of fun. That's right. So we'll leave you with a bit of a message, listeners, as we say goodbye. Uh, stay weird, stay freaky, stay cool. Never run upstairs. If a uh, mad serial killer type slasher enters your house, <laughs> run out the back door or something, for God's sake. And uh, like we say, stay weird, and then you should be all right and survive this month of terror, this uh, Halloween. <laughs> so keep it creepy, folks. That's bye from me. All right. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs>